Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome back to Composite Two Star Recruits, a USC recruiting podcast where a couple of one-star hosts talk about five, four, and three-star prospects and everything in between. I am your one-star host, Chris Trevino, and as always, I'm joined by my podcasting partner in crime, Hurricane Martinez. Gerard, how are you doing on this fine Tuesday? Fine Tuesday. We're in the middle of the football season. It feels like we're not quite at the midway point yet, but... It feels like we're pushing our way towards USC got a big game at home against Washington State. You got the gigantic national universal. It's it's it goes beyond everything high school football. Modern day versus St. John Bosco, the biggest of the biggest <laughs> games this week as well. So uh yeah, it's uh it's looking good. You know, the weather's well, I would say it's starting to cool down, but it's actually not. At least in the IE, it's still in the nineties. Might get some uh, some rain this weekend, I hear him. So oh. that could be interesting. That might be an interesting twist, uh, a little thunders. I feel autumn in the air, regardless of the temperature. The Halloween decorations are up. My nieces and nephews are jumping off the walls, ready for their trick-or-treat candy. So I'm amped. I'm ready to go. Are you a trick-or-treat guy? Are you got, You're going through the neighborhood kind of deal? Not usually. Okay. Um, they may okay. want me to go with them this year. I mean, my one nephew is only one years old, and then my other nephew's three, so he's just kind of getting there. Uh, okay. you know, he's just he's getting like into ready. it. Yeah. Uh, I did go out with uh, my niece, you know, like maybe like a couple years ago. Um, she's seven now, going on eight. So maybe, you know, the tribe will have me go with them, but, you know, it's, it is a mom and dad type of thing. So, you know, I don't try to uh, impede in too much. And when, uh, it's a family thing because I'm 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 family, but you know you got to give mom and dad some time. You know, with the kids a little bit too, because I'm with them all day. I'm literally with them all day. I was up early this morning because my sister had to do something, and yeah, I had the two boys, and uh, yeah, they are they are like lamprey to me. Uh, all they want to do is play video games and play kickball. <laughs> that's that's my morning, you know. Video games sounds like a very much a Gerard thing that you imprinted on them. I don't know about the dodgeball thing or the kickball. You say kickball or dodgeball? Kickball. Yeah, kickball, they like yeah. to play kickball. The three-year-old loves kickball now. He loves football too, but obviously kickball is a little easier just to play in the backyard. And, uh, you know, even the the one-year-old runs around and kicks the ball. So, yeah, they, they're in the kickball. Uh, that's their outside uh, sort of entertainment now. That's their thing. But, uh, yeah, Call of Duty, Ghost Recon. Um, they're into, I mean, the three-year-old is totally into it. The, the one-year-old at this point actually has a, a controller with no batteries in it. So he can pretend he's playing too. So they are super, super gamers already. Starting while they're young. And I didn't expect us to go an early two minutes about Gerard's, uh, family talk. <laughs> um, but Gerard, I did something, uh, this week or I guess over the weekend that I've, never done before in terms of our podcast can you guess what it is no i actually okay. can't what i never did was done for our yeah. podcast yeah 
talked about it with people? <laughs> no, I do that all the time. Well, no, I actually listened to it, Gerard. I was oh, driving wow. and I was on the Spotify and I was like, you know what? Let's just pull it up. Let's search it. Oh, it's there. Okay. Let's just listen to one of our episodes. And, uh, cringy. <laughs> I, uh, I never listened to our episodes. And I'm not even counting like when I'm editing it and going through that doesn't count. I mean, like playing it in the car and just like letting it run. I only, I only let it run for like five minutes, but just, just, you know, it's just a, a spot check, you know, a random, uh, look. Add it just just to make sure everything's up to code, and we sounded we sounded good, Gerard. I just want to say that just from my okay. point of view, as a random uh, throwing it on the car, we sound good. You sound the best, though. I, well, thank you very much. I have yet to listen to it. I'm not a fan of watching Us. myself on video Us, yeah, and listening yeah. to myself on video. It feels weird. It feels surreal. Um, I know it's good for quality control. And if, you know, I was doing the podcast by myself, obviously I'm listening to myself, editing it like you are, but yeah, just sitting back and kind of watching my own stuff seems a a bit vain. So I try not to do that. Yeah. And people really actually do want us to do this 24 hour live stream. So I'm just saying in the future, we might have to have like a a meeting about it to like look, look at our realistically if it's like a thing we can actually do yeah we have to figure out like there has to be a reason (laughs) to do it like it's something that we build that podcast or that stream around that makes it worthwhile it just i don't think we can just sit there talking about recruiting or talking about what's happening i mean i know what would end up happening because if we're talking like signing day we would just sort of be sitting there watching the ESPN coverage ripping on it, which is not professional. And I don't want to do that, but I know that would be what would happen because it would be decent content and it's on all day. So we sit there and talk about have you. So that would I'd rather have something that we could plan the stream around if we were actually doing a 24 hour stream. Uh, but as you've, the point that you've made in the past is that, we kind of have stuff to do <laughs> during the day. And I don't think people just want to sit there and watch us work either. So it's also a little difficult to be able to juggle that. Cause there is a little bit of like making sure people are, are at high schools. If you know, there's still guys that are going to be making announcements that we're ready for that. And obviously that takes work. So it may not be practical. It may be something that's just sort of pie in the eye. Maybe it's something we do before the actual signing day but even then, it's like, what are you building that stream around? A, a real 24-hour stream that you see on Twitch is all built around somebody usually playing video games. And that right. makes sense. So everybody's sort of sharing in that experience, whether it's the chat or the person actually streaming the video game. And there's content there. But just us sitting around in the studio, there's not a lot of content there. So I don't know how we would actually format it. Yeah, I mean, we can talk about that in the future. But Let's stick to the present because we haven't even really touched on what we're going to talk about in this fun episode. Gerard USC obviously landed a pretty big commitment on Monday and made our job easy with the cold open. And of course, I'm referring to four-star pinnacle offensive tackle Elijah Page, former Notre Dame commit. That's where we're going to open with. We also want to talk about a long list of visitors that were on hand for USC's win over Arizona State. We got some Friday Night Lights. I was back at a game on Friday. You were at a game on Friday. 
We're going to talk about a little bit of a crystal ball update for a USC prospect. We got some top performers. We got another recruiting angle for that Arizona State win over the weekend. We have some scores to get to from around college football. We got another big slate of high school football. And then we got a good amount of listener questions. So lots to talk about on this episode. And before we get into the cold open, just want to say a shout out to the official sponsor of the Composite Two Star Recruits, Meredith Schlosser, best real estate agent in Los Angeles, Southern California. Go to her website, www.meredithschlosser.com. That's S-C-H-L-O-S-S-E-R. Follow her on Instagram at her business account at Meredith Real Estate. Now, Gerard, big, big commitment on Monday. Four-star offensive tackle, Elijah Page, six foot seven, 305 pounds. USC is, we've talked about them having a really good, solid foundation for this offensive line class in 2023, but they were still looking for that top-end, four-star kind of guy to maybe bring it all together, that 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 left tackle kind of prospect. And Elijah Page is a guy USC was on early. Josh Henson, one of his first offers when he officially came on as the USC coach uh, for the offensive line, offered Page, who was then just a three-star prospect. I have been on record multiple times as being a huge Elijah Page guy. Went ahead and committed to Notre Dame in the summer before – he was expected to take a USC official visit. Didn't end up taking that official visit several a couple weeks ago. Ended up backing off that Notre Dame commitment. USC stayed on him. Gave him a lot to think about. Ended up getting him on campus for his official visit this past weekend. Saw him on the field. We'll talk a little bit about that. But a quick turnaround from that official visit to the commitment to the Trojans. Moves them to number 13 in the country in terms of their recruiting class. Back to number one in the Pac-12 over Oregon. He is number 237 in the 24-7 sports uh, rankings, number 24 offensive tackle. He is the number 354 overall prospect in the 24-7 sports composite and the number 30 offensive tackle. USC held all the crystal balls for him after that uh, Notre Dame decommitment, including a 10-gold-plated lock from Steve Wilt Fong. Now, Gerard, everyone wants to know, yes. Can he play? But also, can he play left tackle? That's a great question. <laughs> Expected, predicted, but nevertheless, absolutely huge for USC. And huge. as you alluded to, he is right now the anchor of that offensive line class. And yes, he can play left tackle. He can definitely play left tackle. 6'7", 305 pounds. He's a giant kid. He's Mm -hmm. a big kid. He stands out. You know, he's on a pretty good pinnacle team who has some guys with some height and some weight. It's it's a good-looking football team, and he still towers over everybody. He's one of those guys. It's like, who is that kid? Now, a lot of people at face value would see him just in terms of his frame, his size, and they would automatically feel like, okay, that's a guy that's a road grader. There's other players that USC has recruited in the past with those dimensions that you would see playing guard. Six seven's a little tall for guard. But once you turn on that film and you watch Liza Page move, you see right away the athleticism to be able to play really anywhere on the line but 
Yes, left tackle as well. He's got the footwork. He's got the athleticism. He's obviously got the wingspan. You watch him pull. You see him do a lot of different things in that scheme at Pinnacle. And he's a guy that, first and foremost, I think this is very important, out on the edge against a lot of smaller players, just about everybody he plays against is vastly smaller than he is. He maintains his blocks. And that's one sign of really good footwork, really good balance, and really good athleticism. Because it's difficult for a guy that's six, seven, 300 pounds mm-hmm. to be able to stay on the block without a quicker player being able to move away. And that's where you start to reach. That's where you start to have issues with holding. And he's a guy that stays in front of his blocks incredibly well. Even when he's moving downfield, you'll see quite often he locks on and he gets to that second level and he gets 15 yards downfield and he's pancaking guys. And yeah, he's bigger and he's stronger, certainly. But it's the movement from point A to point B and not allowing anybody to get from side to side to him. He keeps everybody in front of him, shoulder squared. I think that shows you that he has the ability to play on the edge as a tackle against guys that are fast, big, regardless. So, yeah, he can play left tackle. It's a huge pickup for USC because they've really moved into that point where they need talented bodies. They don't have the depth. They've only got three guys on that roster that are consensus four-stars coming out of high school. And that's Justin Dedich. That's Brent Nealon. So that's the two interior guys, both coming to USC as centers. Now Dedich is playing guard. And I believe Jason Rodriguez is the other guy that was a four-star across the board on all the publications. The last so consensus able- guy that USC signed. Yeah, class right. consensus so four-star. There's really not a lot of depth there. Now, certainly there's got to be development. And we've talked about that in the past where Josh Henson, the offensive line coach at USC, you're always going to have three-star guys in the offensive line. You're, you're going to have guys that are projects that when you're recruiting on the West Coast, you almost want to be able to have a couple of those guys maybe every year. It's dependent on what your numbers are, what your depth chart looks like. But you want to take some chances on some guys because some of those projects we've seen in the NFL, there's a lot of guys who are tight ends or they're linemen that are 250, 260 pounds out of high school, multi-sport athletes that you put the weight on and then they end up being first round draft picks. That's the trend. Really, Elijah Page is not the trend when you're looking at what NFL first round left tackles look like. However, with that said, on film, He's a guy that is an immediate contributor because he has that size already and he shows the athleticism. So it's a big, big, big pickup for USC, you know, literally and figuratively a very big pickup for USC. And we'll see where they go forward because obviously they're still recruiting other guys. I don't think they're done at the offensive line. Yeah, there's definitely a feel that they're not done with that offensive line class because as you said, really nice page that cornerstone of that five deep but as you mentioned usc needs those bodies you need offensive line if you can take two more guys take two more guys and there are some guys out there that usc is obviously still flirting with caleb lomu i don't know if we're ready to jump into the caleb lomu portion of the the episode that's right next after this cold open but gerard you know We've talked about USC's recruiting of offensive linemen. And if you recall very early when we started this show, half the questions we got early on for composite two-star recruits were, why can USC not 
land offensive linemen. And now we're here in October, USC 5 and 0, trying to go 6 and 0 before a big Utah road uh, road matchup. USC has their offensive line class. I think if this class stopped today, a lot of fans would be ecstatic with the group that Josh Henson and Lincoln Riley has built, a bunch of guys that, you know, people think that are underrated. You have your blue chip guy kind of in uh, Elijah Page, you have a chance to maybe add another guy down the line in Caleb Lomu, maybe still play for a one of those really, really blue chip guys, uh, you know, that you were kind of recruiting in the summer, still keeping in contact with those guys. So, but if it stopped at those five, I think a lot of people would be ecstatic with what Josh Henson and Lincoln Riley built, have built so far uh, through October. But, you know, just going back to all the questions and I guess panic that we saw early in the season or preseason about offensive line recruiting. Gerard, do you ever feel like there was a, I feel like we were saying like, just be patient, just be patient. They're going to come. USC is going to win games. USC has sort of that proof of concept on paper. You don't have to kind of recruit on faith anymore to see what they built. It's like recruiting. I tweeted this out. Recruiting is sort of a marathon. Just looking back at all the, 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 fear and anxiety USC fans had about offensive line recruiting. I think a lot of that was still Clay Helton PTSD from how they were, they had the inability to pick up offensive linemen, but this is a new era. This is a new staff and USC has, I would say probably one of the better looking offensive line classes in the country, just in terms of in terms of need and bodies and big bodies, 300 pound guys. And you have a position Filled for everybody from left tackle through right tackle. And like I said, probably still not done yet. Yeah, so let's look at this offensive line class okay. because it is intriguing to see the group as a whole. I like the two guards that they've got. I really like uh, yeah. Amos Talalele and Alani Noah. Okay, so you've got 6'5", you know, 315, 330 pounds. You saw him in person. Legit. Legit. He listed. Very mobile. Very raw, but a guy that shows good feet and athleticism. And when you look at that with the framing of, okay, he's going to play inside. So he's not going to be out there on an island. He's not going to be kick-stepping on the edge. He's going to be in a little more of a phone booth where you're playing inside. That's an enormous guy. Okay, that's an enormous physical football player that finished blocks and has deceiving athleticism for his size. Then you got Alani Noah, who is nasty. Nasty. 320 pounds coming from Grant High School up there in Sacramento. They play really tough nose football up there in Sacramento, Grant. He's a guy that, again, you've got a bruiser inside. You've got a guy that's not afraid to get to that second level and mash people. Now you've got Tobias Raymond, who is a little more of the project. He's 6'7", you know, 260 pounds, maybe 265 at this point. We haven't been able to go up there and see him in person. He's way up there in Ventura, unfortunately. That game where they were going to play against Pacifica, we had a bunch of other games to go to. It was I think when uh, everybody was on the road also up in Corvallis. So we haven't been able to see him in person just to see physically where he's at right now. But certainly got a lot of length and a lot of height and is one of those guys that you look at on paper and you say, okay, if we're looking for the trend of NFL players, this is the kind of guy that looks like that. You know, He's a little more undersized, but he's a guy that's got that length and got that height. And potentially with the athleticism is a guy you build up within your program 
and is a nice get. And then you got Micah Banuelos, who is you know one of the top centers in the country, 6'3", 290 pounds. USC is going to need a center, certainly, because Brent Nealon probably playing himself into the draft right now. Uh, I believe he's still got that COVID year. Now, all these linemen, I believe, still have that COVID year. So when we talk about who's going to potentially be leaving the depth chart and transition into, okay, that's the class. It's a really good-looking class. You've got you know, the, the, the center. You've got the guards. They're, they're kind of your prototypical mashing sort of guards. They're really good-looking run blockers, first and foremost. So that always piques your interest a little bit. You know, we know Lincoln Riley, very good pass offense, trying to be balanced. I, I look down the line even to 2024, and you've got guys like DeAndre Carter and Brandon Baker who are at modern day. Um, you look at some of those guards that are on the table, and you're looking at a really good-looking potential pro-style offense that you could run with those guards. I mean, it's a downhill running offensive line that you could sort of build here over the next couple of recruiting cycles. And when you look at what you're losing, potentially, right now you've got seniors, Brent Nealon, Andrew Voorhees, Bobby Haskins. Okay, We don't know if one of those guys wants to return another year. Again, it's going to really depend upon NFL grades and what have you. Um, Justin Dijit, same thing. You know, he's a senior, according to USC, but he does have another year uh, because of the COVID waiver. So perhaps he comes back another year. He hasn't determined that yet. And I think, again, this is what makes the numbers hard to to, to really figure out because it's going to come to really the end of the year, how these guys are playing. And maybe even they have to sit around and wait through December to figure out what their draft grade is potentially going to be. So that might dictate who comes and who goes. And then, you know, you have that sort of big sophomore class and a lot of those 2020 guys, and I think you're going to see some exodus there. I think that's mm-hmm. where you might see the roster shake up a little bit. Guys kind of seeing the writing on the wall. They're not in the too deep. They're really not getting a lot of run in terms of scrimmages. There's a couple guys out there that just haven't played a whole lot. They could potentially be on the way. So that opens up more spots to where you start talking about, you know, six offensive linemen in the class, maybe seven offensive linemen in the class. I think it depends on at the end of the day who you're bringing in, best player available, and then obviously the feeling of what the porthole is going to look like when you start to get in November, December, because that also can dictate, okay, we can bring in a couple plug-and-play guys right away at guard or at tackle. That's going to change you know, who we want to look at uh, at the high school ranks. And, and, and obviously if you're able to start landing guys before signing day, some of those transfers start making decisions before the early high school signing period, that can also affect, you know, who's going where uh, in high school. You know, some of these guys that are committed, whether it be USC or other schools, might say, well, hey, man, they just picked up this guy that was a former five-star, and I'm thinking twice now about going to this school because I thought I was going to get early playing time. Now, offensive line, certainly, you don't want to have true freshmen or even redshirt freshmen starting uh, you want to be able to have those guys at least a year in your program just to just to bulk up, just to get a little more of that, you know, grown man strength. Um, but potentially, you know, you could end up having to flash a guy uh, at, at one of the tackle positions next year for USC. And certainly Eliza Page and you mentioned Cable Lamu, potential guys that are good enough to be impact players right away. Are they good enough to start from day one? Again, I don't think you want that. I don't think you want to throw them to the wolves that way. But talent-wise, size-wise, certainly Eliza Page 
could come in and contribute right away, I think, especially at right tackle, but potentially even left tackle. Right. Uh, Elijah certainly has the talent to be kind of like what Mason Murphy was early in his career when he stepped on campus. The guy who physically looks really good, kind of was on special teams and, you know, kickoff and or excuse me, field goal and and all those uh, and those those roles and then was able to win the backup job and get some reps and maybe earn some early playing time. And as you said, maybe he comes in and competes right away for a starting job or at least pushes a guy who comes back. And as you mentioned, with the guys who are potentially leaving Andrew Voorhees, uh, Bobby Haskins and Brett Nealon, you still have an ability to return three guys from this current line with Cortland Ford. You know, obviously he has been switching back and forth with Haskins and that rotation at left tackle. You could have him back. He could be your 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 guy for next season. Jonah Monheim, who's playing really, really well at right tackle, get him back for another season. Those guys are, are probably need a little bit more tape, and the next season could be their real year to jump off and towards the NFL draft. And then the Justin Dietrich question is he's probably not an NFL guard. And his best option for getting to the NFL would be coming back and putting some center tape because he doesn't really have a full season of starter of starting uh, or full season of film as a center. So the theory out there and, you know, something that I've talked with with people behind is him. The scenes is him coming back for another season with Brett Nealon gone, he kicks over to the position he was recruited for out of high school. He takes over as a returning team captain in the middle of the offense to take over the center spot with Cortland Ford at left, Jonah Monheim at right. And then you kind of figure out what to do with those guard positions. You have these five guys, you, you know, assuming everyone signs, you have these five guys you're bringing in. That's really good. Possibly even more. And then maybe you grab a few guys out of the portal to kind of help, especially guards, if you guys to kind of help smooth that smooth that transition for these freshman guys so you don't have to uh, rely on playing them so early. Maybe a Cooper Lovelace is ready to step up. Maybe Gino Quinones, who we saw start against Arizona State. We'll probably talk about that during the recruit angle. But saw him kind of step up. Maybe he can step up into that role to one of those guard spots, see what you got in Cooper Lovelace after developing him for a season, maybe Mace Murphy is ready to kick inside. So you have some options, but I definitely think you're going to need some transfer guys to pair with this 2023 offensive line class. So if you can get those three guys back, Ford, Monheim, and Dietrich, that's a pretty good foundation to build for for that 2023 starting offensive line. Now, Gerard, we did have a, a bunch of questions, as you can imagine, about Elijah Page and the rest of this class and Caleb Lomu. So I kind of moved some of the questions from listener, uh, the listener question section up to this point. But you kind of touched on it. How many uh, this comes from a question that we got. uh, How many offensive line does Henson take for the class max? It took a visit from Lomu and there's talks of uh, Samson Okunola, who is, I believe, the number one or the number two rated offensive tackle or offensive lineman in the class out from Massachusetts. Don't talk a lot about five stars from out from Massachusetts. But there's there's talk about him taking a vis, uh, official visit or visit in general, uh, plus the potential fit, flip from Lucas Simmons or Francis Maui Goa and whatever transfers from the portal. Just my personal opinion, I'm not even factoring in portal. I think they could take 
seven guys in this class. So at least two more guys out of the high school ranks, I think they could take for, uh, uh, for 2023. And all those three guys I just mentioned, uh, Samson, Simmons, Maui Go, all those guys, blue chip guys, they call you up. You're taking that call and you're bringing them in. You're not, you're not really worrying about the numbers. You're, you're getting as many bodies as you can. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that's true probably on the defensive line. It's true on the offensive line. You get to that point at the end of the year where you just sort of see how things shake out. You know, getting guards out of the portal is much, much easier than getting your future left tackle. And we've seen that uh, with USC recruiting. It's um, very difficult. The premium positions are the premium positions out of the portal, just like they are out of high school. And probably even more so, because it seems like relationships and certain things happen uh, before they even get in the porthole. You know, if you want to call that tampering or not, I think it's just more of these players want to get their feelers out there. They want to know who's interested before they actually make that jump. And once they make that jump, um, it's all hands on deck for every school that had any kind of relationship with that particular player and even the schools that don't. So we've seen it's been difficult to get tackles, offensive tackles and defensive tackles out of the portal. But I think with guards and defensive ends, it's a bit easier. And that is, again, just sort of the food chain of premium positions. You know, those guys are always difficult to find uh, that are good interior pass rushers. And the guys that are actual franchise type tackles are also very difficult to find. And so I think that's the same, you know, as we get closer, it's going to be interesting to see uh, how the porthole dictates what these schools are going to do with the recruiting process and how that actually changes what's available on the recruiting trail out of high school. So, yeah, I agree. Um, you know, if, 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 Maui Goa wants to pick up the phone and wants to take an unofficial visit to USC late because he's just not sure about Miami anymore. hundred percent. You know, you take that call, you take that visit, you set it up and you go from there. And I think that's true of, you know, several players that uh, are there at the offensive tackle position. Um, you got to be, I think a high end four star at that point, because you're not really going to want to shake the boat mm -hmm. too much with what you already have by just going after a bunch of three star guys and right. certainly, like I said, when you have to look at the class at the, you know, the 2023 level, and then you have to also compare it to what potentially you could get um, out of the portal, because those guys are going to be plug and play type guys. And the guys that are leaving the class, you have to sort of look, OK, you know, do we want to bring in a kid that could contribute early, but is not necessarily a guy that we're comfortable starting the first five games of the season? You have to sort of make that determination because you could get a guard out of the portal that be a guy that, you know, comes in right away and plays and, and plays well for you. So we're just going to have to wait and see how that all sort of shakes out. Andrew, we got a, a smaller question that was asked uh, that I just wanted to kick up here and not wait till the end. But how do you guys compare Elijah Page to Spencer Fano? And Fano has been a guy we've talked Pretty about. Pretty different players. Yeah. Uh, Pretty different well, for, players. Fano is a little more of a guy that's going to take some time, I think. Uh, he's going to go on his Mormon mission, and he kind of needs that a little bit before you're going to throw him in there. I think Paige uh, can contribute early and, and can contribute early, like I said, at, at multiple positions because he is pretty athletic. And if you wanted to put him at guard just to get him some run and put him under the lights a little bit, 
that I think he could do. You mentioned Mason Murphy, and we saw, you know, Mason Murphy has uh, two seasons basically under his belt at USC, and he got thrown out there at left tackle, and you saw he was a bit overwhelmed. I mean, it's very difficult to be able to go out there and, you know, on the spot, play right away. And we've seen that at the college level, even going back to Pete Carroll, where you had some highly rated players that had to go in in the middle of the game. And it's just like, wow, the offensive line in itself is like a team within the team. And when you start to shake up guys and guys get hurt and whatever, you'd be amazed at the communication and the chemistry and how all of a sudden everything changes. So, um, you know, Mason Murphy's a guy that, again, you know, maybe he's a right tackle. Maybe you push him down uh, to guard. Um, you know, you're going to want to have the, that versatility on your offensive line where you can't move guys around. And when we look at Andrew Voorhees, he's played tackle. He's played guard. Uh, going back to Elijah Vera Tucker, a guy that played guard and then picked, picked out the left tackle. So, yeah, you're going to want to have guys that can play multiple positions. But certainly, uh, like we said, um, guard is going to be the easier position to recruit. And certainly in terms of like elite level players, that's where it's at in the next two recruiting classes. Uh, but going, yeah, with spent with, with Fano versus Eliza page, I definitely take Eliza page as a guy that can play earlier and um, you know, can contribute early. And that's really what USC is going to need because they do not have a lot of depth and certainly it's quality depth. They do not have a lot of quality depth. Quality is the key quality depth. Now let's actually keep it rolling with offensive line and maybe building more of that quality depth for the future. And that's uh, Gilbert, Arizona Highland four-star offensive tackle, Caleb Lomu, who was on campus for an official visit this past weekend for Arizona state. Now we're going to dive fully into the other long list of unofficial visitors for the ASU game, but we just wanted to highlight Caleb a little bit more, uh, Gerard. He has his own little talking point because that's how important he is. And Caleb Lomu was not expected to be on campus this weekend. He was projected, not projected, expected to be at Oregon this weekend. But I'm standing there, down there on the sidelines in the recruit area. It's getting pretty hectic with all the kids, you know, crowding the sideline to to check out warmups and for their their uh, position groups. I'm standing next to Elijah Page. He walks by with his family. Elijah Hughes, the Virginia defensive lineman who's taking his official, walks by. And then another giant kid walks by me and his uh, media, his credential, smacked out in my face, Caleb Lomu. And I was like, oh, Caleb Lomu's here. And I texted you immediately like, Caleb Lomu's here. So Caleb Lomu is a guy who USC had been pursuing sort of as that maybe that fifth guy and then Elijah Page decommitted from Notre Dame. But USC is still going after Caleb Lomu, and I think it tells you a lot, obviously, that USC still was able to get him on campus with Elijah Page also walking around campus for uh, his official visit. And Caleb Lomu, if you don't know, six foot five, 260-pound offensive tackle, actually rated higher than Elijah Page in both the 24-7 sports rankings and the 24-7 sports composite rankings, number 197. For us in the 24-7 sports rankings, number 21 overall, number three prospect out of Arizona. So, Gerard, it was a huge day. For, uh, it was a busy day for Josh Henson on Saturday is what I'm t- trying to tell you. Yeah, a, a really good day because, I mean, you've got your two highest targets, really, at this point in time that are uncommitted on campus together. And that in it itself 
is it's a feat for USC to be able to get those guys on campus. You know, it's good recruiting, but then also it's telling that those, those guys are, are, are both on the docket. You know, there's not yeah. just one or the other. It's, you know, listen, we're recruiting you both. We like you both. We need you both. And I think that's sort of what it says. Lamu was scheduled to take a, a visit to Oregon this past weekend. And I think midweek or something that sort of changed and he ends up at USC. It seems from what I'm hearing, Oregon is fading pretty quickly for him. Uh, so it's uh, really sort of USC out in front. He's looking at Utah and, and Utah is still a player for him. Um, he took that official visit to Florida for the opener when they played against Utah. And um, I think he's going to be back up in Utah for the USC game. So Utah still has a chance to impress him and, mm-hmm. and to make a move for him. But I think that there's definitely a lot of feel for USC and, um, you know, playing close to home. A lot of the reasons I think Elijah Page ended up decommitting from Notre Dame and ended up committing to USC. And so I think the family is really high on USC. They love the educational aspects of it. They like the location that is close to home. And they know that offensive line recruiting is very, very important for USC right now. And certainly the fan base knew it. You said, you know, all the questions that we had when we started this podcast were about offensive line. That's really all everybody wanted to talk about. And I think the two real storylines of this class that are probably going to resonate the loudest would be hanging on to Malachi Nelson, you know, just with him uh, taking that unofficial visit to Texas A&M. You could see how important the quarterback position is and how people responded to that and how many questions we had to that and how much conversation there was just about that unofficial visit. So, you know, the quarterback position is always a very important position. It's probably the most important position on the field. And that's why you see so many quarterbacks go so high in the draft in the NFL, but offensive line for USC fans is, is, is one B. I mean, they know that it's been the last three cycles they have not had very good offensive line classes. It's and why so, Bryce Young, one of the reasons he was like, I'm out. I'm out of here. Yeah. Uh, certainly. Me. I, I mean, I think, you know, all the talk of Clay Helton being fired after they lost to BYU that year, it opened the door for Alabama to get in there and really talk up. Hey, man, don't you want to play behind a great offensive line? Now, ironically, he's actually hurt uh, <laughs> right now. Um, and, you know, I don't know if that's really the offensive line's fault. He was kind of just, you know, scrambling and then kind of threw the ball and dived and it was, it was kind of an odd injury, but it's a sprained AC joint. I think in his shoulder is what Nick Saban said. Uh, but nevertheless, yeah, it, it definitely, I mean, it's one of those positions that can affect other positions. I've, I've talked about this ad nauseum uh, and, you know, in the recruiting angles and just on the podcast, how even the run game, uh, how offensive line affects, I think the running back recruiting and how, the running backs having 100-yard games affects offensive line recruiting. And offensive linemen want to see a scheme where they can get downhill and they can deliver some punishment. They don't want to be stuck in a kick step for 50 snaps a game. So I think that, you know, the offensive line is obviously incredibly important for USC's success moving on. And I think that goes to the point of this Elijah Page commitment being a little bit of a statement commitment, not just, hey, Get a great offensive lineman. You're able to interject him into the program. USC needs it. But it's also, 
USC prioritizing and showing like, hey, we're going to be relentless. We realize that you've got to be able to get good offensive linemen and we're going to continue to recruit offensive linemen, not just in terms of quality. Everybody wants quality in every position, but quantity as well. We're willing to take the numbers to be able to have these guys because we understand how important it is. And, and listen, I've always been a big advocate of maybe over-recruiting offensive line. And, and I don't know. I mean, that's really a matter of perspective and, and you know what certain coaches think. But I was always a little bit critical of Pete Carroll and his approach to recruiting offensive line, especially in the interior, because they just felt like if you recruit a guard and he ends up not being a guy, it's dead weight. And I understand that. I understand it's like, hey, you know, you could get another defensive back. You could get another running back. You could get another receiver, et cetera. You can't really do anything with an interior offensive lineman that doesn't really work out and isn't you know, going to be a player for you. But at the same time, I do think that you got to have practice players and scout players. Mm -hmm. And it seemed like with USC, in terms of the numbers that they were taking, they are always hovering around like six or seven healthy offensive linemen come spring ball. And you're kind of like, man, you can't really practice that hard. Like if you have a few injuries, all of a sudden now you're digging into your scout team and, you know, your scout team can't give your first uh, defense a look during the week because you just don't have guys there. You're you're putting walk-ons out there. So, yeah, I, I think offensive line and having those numbers is, is really important. And this right now is showing that USC agrees with that and they're willing to just not go for the quality players. But, you know, they want to get some quantity too. Bring in those bodies Gerard that's what Josh Henson and USC is doing right now are you ready to tackle a very stacked and long uh unofficial or visitor list in general not just unofficial because there is official visits no I'm not I don't know oh, okay <laughs> okay I don't know what's the best way to talk about it I think last week or the week before we went and talked about it, just the, the guys that kind of stood out. And that's usually, you know, even with the recruiting angle piece I do, I'm not trying to like talk and, and include every single guy that was on campus or even in the war room at that point. I, I think some people are just looking for names and lists so they can high five and say this guy's on campus, but I don't really see that as being very interesting. I don't know how you want to go through the list. It was a long list and it, it it's a fairly impressive list. I mean, there's, a lot of really good players here. I don't know how you want to touch on it, how you want to break it down. Do you want to go by stars? Do you want to go by position? I'm going to leave you to sort of uh, uh, reveal who you want to talk about and how you want to talk about it. Yes, that's because I'm looking at the list right now and it is it is daunting to like just look at. Maybe not daunting, but there's just so many names and it's not even all the names. These are just like, the guys that I was able to identify and uh, I really appreciate you uh, putting it on me to kind of lead this. Uh, <laughs> but, but I think I just want to start, let's just do it kind of like groupings and maybe I'll do, I just want to grab the, the official visitors that we know were on campus that I want to grab uh, maybe the, the commits that were on campus. And then I want to grab the notable unofficial visitors. Um, maybe the older guys, not necessarily like, by class, and then maybe I'll just grab a couple of the uh, interesting names, guys that maybe don't have offers yet, but just names to keep uh, a uh, an eye on. How does that sound? That sounds like everybody. everybody Look, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna do it better than that, but that was just a vague overview, Gerard. That was I think just a vague you're gonna overview. be talking about more guys uh, than not, but fire away. Okay, well, 
the main, like, let's start with the commits because this is the easiest. Uh, a stack list of the guys who are committed. You had five-star uh, 2023 wide receiver Zachary Branch, uh, defensive lineman Grant Bucky, Jacoby Lane made his his visit to the Trojans. Uh, Dave John, game, right? Huh? That's his first game at USC. I believe so. I believe yeah. so, yes. Uh, recent uh, d- defensive line commit, uh, Dejan Lafitte, right? Lafitte, there I you got go. Yeah. Lafitte. Uh, there were some 2024 uh, commits in uh, Jason Robinson, uh, wide receiver out of Long Beach Poly. Dylan Williams, also out of Poly, linebacker. Aaron Butler, USC's first 2024 commitment in the 24 class. He was there on campus. Did not see Jet White, but I would not be surprised if he was there, but did not see him. And, excuse me, and the big one, I think the biggest guy that just like eye-catching, Tackett Curtis, Rambo Curtis, the big Louisiana uh, missile, jackhammer, was on campus, Gerard. Now, Chris, there's a little bit of controversy stewing on the Hairstyle. Oh, about Tackett Curtis. Oh, fill me and in. The is this breaking news? Is this breaking how, news? How tall is he? I don't know where or why this got started, but evidently there's like some people out there that don't believe that he's actually six foot two. I've been told from sources that he's six foot two, almost six foot three. I saw him once in person, just sort of you know walking around campus on the cart. I thought. That's six foot two, and he's a big kid. Like he's 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 a little bigger than I actually thought he was. I think uh, he was on campus during that weekend when you had Tobias Raymond and you had Grant Bucky. So you know, I mean, it was at a far and 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 what have you. But I, I didn't necessarily think, oh, he's a lot shorter uh, than I thought. We've seen some pictures posted on the Peristyle uh, right there uh, with uh, your favorite recruit, Arch Manning. You know, mm-hmm. I look look pretty much six two to me. If you know Arch Manning is six three six four, so what say you? Have you seen the most recent? Are you are you saying people think he's smaller than that? Yeah, are you? They, they're calling and saying he's only six foot six foot one. No, he's definitely not six foot one. I was up close to him. I was like shoulder to shoulder with him. I'm not a big guy, obviously, but the guy is legit at least six foot two. I was he was standing next to Elijah uh, Hughes who is listed at about six foot three. And that looked about right. And Tackett and him were about the same size. Tackett's a big dude. And I I wasn't necessarily looking at his height, but he was a legit 225 pounds. You could have thrown a a pads and pads and all that uniform on him. He would have blended in right, right along with those uh, college guys. That's how big he was. And he was legitimately, this is my first time seeing him. I texted his coach. I was like, I'm very impressed when I'm just looking at just because my first time seeing him. And he's like, I was like, he's big. And he texted me back and he said, yeah, and he can run too. So I know that has USC fans salivating over the the potential or the the future for Tackett Curtis, who people think can step in right away and help this team on defense. But no, I'm shooting that down right now. He was at least six foot two. And I think he was pushing, you know, six foot two and a half inching towards six foot three Gerard. That's, that's my statement. Controversy solved. I tend to agree with you from what I saw. I wasn't shoulder to shoulder with him, as I said, but um, I mean, he didn't look like he was uh, a sawed off type of linebacker. And I mean, even if he was linebacker is one of those positions like running back that, and there's a lot of guys that are in that six foot and a half range uh, that are playing inside linebacker in the field and they're really good. So 
it's it's really not that big a deal. But uh, yeah, I didn't think that that was a thing either. But I thought, okay, you know what? That's interesting because he's going to be down here. You know, Chris will be able to see him up close. And uh, that's a little bit of insight for you folks uh, that uh, for whatever reason think that uh, he's not as big as he's listed. No, I, I thought you were saying people. Th- I I thought the, the talk was that people were saying he was taller than six foot two. Not that he was shorter. No, I would not. No, I don't. I'm shooting that down right now. He's uh he's legit six foot two at minimum. Now the official visitors, as we mentioned, obviously Elijah Page, new USC commit, was on his official visit, and Elijah Hughes, the three star 2023 edge out of Virginia, made all the way made the trek all the way to the West Coast. And I'll just say this: his parents looked like they were having a heck of a time, Gerard. They were every time I looked over, they were smiling. Hughes looked interesting to me. He looked legit six foot three, but he didn't look like a maybe like a true like kind of edge guy to me he looked like a thick jumbo kind of linebacker if that makes sense to you he was a little bit thicker uh he had a big big lower body in terms of his legs big strong legs uh but his upper body kind of reminds you of a very uh well-built linebacker he looked more uh just a big old mike linebacker than kind of edge but I kind of liked the way he looked. You know, he, he was six foot three, maybe six foot two and a half, but he looked like he was having a good time. His parents definitely looked like he was having a good time. So those were the kind of two official visitors page, the Elijah's, if you will, Gerard. Yeah. And we're going to try to track down some type of uh, visit uh, review from either Hughes, which he doesn't really talk much, maybe a coach, maybe somebody close to him to kind of get some type of vibe as to how, the visit went obviously Virginia tech, as we reported in the past was the big leader there. Mm-hmm. They haven't played very well this season. They got smoked by North Carolina this past weekend. So it certainly opened the door uh, for a lot of teams. It's interesting. You know, Elijah Hughes to me is similar to Sam green, mm-hmm. the six foot two, 260 pound defensive lineman that USC got committed a few weeks ago from St. Francis out in Baltimore. They're very similar players. Uh, they're kind of, you know, sort of smallish um, guys with a lot of quickness and a lot of speed that you would say, well, maybe he's more of a five technique, but they're maybe more inside because they don't have the length to play on the outside. I think, you know, it depends on the scheme and we're seeing this sort of transition from, you know, the personnel that had been recruited by prior staffs for prior schemes sort of melding in with the scheme that we have now and the players that Alex Grinch wants to bring in. So with Hughes and Green, you see two guys that are incredibly quick. And uh, we could talk a little bit later about Sam Green's highlight film that he just put out. You know, he put out, I think, his first five games, six games for St. Francis. And you just see the explosiveness. You know, whether he's playing at the three technique or is playing even a one shade, He's just so quick, and he's able to run down a lot of plays. He's very strong. He's built pretty well. The big question about him and why he's a three-star from everybody that I've heard who's seen him up close is just does he have the length, right? You know, can he have the arms to disengage from blocks when he's playing against bigger players? Because he's probably not going to be a guy that you're going to be putting out on the edge necessarily. He's going to be a guy that's going to be in the interior. And I think Elijah Hughes kind of sort of similar. I mean, he is a one-gap explosive type of guy, makes a lot of tackles for losses. He has a speed and athleticism, it seems, at least 
you know, with that level of competition, obviously it's apples and oranges between uh, the level of competition that Eliza Huge is playing against as opposed to Sam Green. Sam Green is playing against, you know, really a national schedule right now for St. Francis. You know, they travel out around a whole bunch. You're going to be playing IMG coming up. They play against really good football programs, and he's had a really good start to his season. And that's why you saw a bunch of those scholarship offers come for him, you know, for those first couple games when people saw him at St. Francis because he's been at some smaller high schools. So now you see that film against that type of competition. You see he's basically still doing what he was doing even at the smaller programs, and it's sort of that certified. And so now uh, you got all these schools like Texas A&M and Penn State coming after him. He commits to USC. With Elijah Hughes, you don't necessarily have that big surge of scholarship offers, but USC really likes him. And like I said, similar player in my mind, uh, not having seen him up close, um, to what you get with Sam Green. So it's kind of interesting. I mean, like you said, built a little more like a bigger linebacker than not necessarily like a defensive lineman. I mean, when you're comparing him to a guy like uh, Mateo Ungulele, also on the unofficial visit to USC. Now, he didn't get out there and actually watch the game pregame. He was uh, evidently, according to you, Chris, in a tent uh, or in the in the recruit area watching the Clemson game because his brother's obviously playing for Clemson. But, you know, Mateo is sort of that 6'5", 270 pounds, long arms, um, a little more what you would think for modern-day five technique. So it's just one of those things that you're looking for the exception to the rule when you're looking at a guy that's, you know, 6'1", 6'2", maybe not necessarily that full-on 6'4", 6'5", type of defensive lineman, but it doesn't mean those guys can't be successful at the college level. I mean, we've seen USC have some guys that were a little smaller, have that success. But again, you have to look and see, okay, can he put on that weight? Um, is he going to be able to have uh, the, the the length in the arms to be able to disengage from some of these big offensive linemen? And you kind of touched into that third group I wanted to talk about, which is like the headliners of the unofficial visitors that were neither on officials. Or... Wait, wait, here's a good question. Before we move okay. on, did you okay. get to see, because I've obviously Dijon Lafitte uh, a, a few times now. Uh, did you get to see him uh, in person at the game? Uh, very briefly. I saw him walk by because the recruiting tent is, uh, or not, excuse me, not the recruiting tent, the recruiting, like the main recruiting pen is in the corner of the uh, end zone opposite of the peristyle and the defensive line warms up in that corner. So like all the defensive linemen always walk by there to get there. So that was the only time I really saw him was when he walked by me to, to get to that, that corner. Cause I was going to say, you know, how in terms of physicality and frame profile wise, he compares with a guy like Elijah Hughes. Cause obviously Dijon is I think he's listed at 6'3", 285 right now. And Dijon's a guy that, I mean, he's still like carrying 280 pounds, looks like he can put on more weight. He, he's not a sloppy guy in the least. And he's right. probably closer to 6'2", than actually 6'3". I mean, I think he's in yeah. that, that, that range. And I can see 6'2 and a half, whatever, but um, longer arms. You know, he's definitely got longer arms, and I can see – you know, he's a defensive tackle through and through. Like, he's a guy that's going right, to be right. tackle. It's going to be a matter of, do you want him at 300? Do you want to keep him around that 285, 290 range? Again, this is going to be interesting to see moving forward what Alex Grinch does because we know he likes mobility on the defensive line. You know, he likes those guys. And he's got some guys that they've converted, you know, that are playing defensive line. Guys like Solomon Tulia Pupu 
who is a linebacker now playing around 270, where he's you know playing the five technique. So it's it's interesting to see. It's a transitional period. That is probably roster wise, depth chart wise, where you look and you see where you've got to get the 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 most improvement from a talent standpoint. I mean, we talk about the offensive line. I just feel like there's things you can do on the offensive line to supplement. And certainly one of those things is having Caleb Williams who can dodge bullets the way he does. But on the defensive line, it's like if you don't got the talent and you don't got the dude, you're just going to get blown off the ball. There's there's really not a lot. And I think, you know, Alex Grinch is an interesting choice as a defensive tackle for any Pac-12 school because he came up sort of learning a scheme and developing a scheme that would maybe marginalize having smaller players. I mean, that's what we saw him do at Washington State, and he was so successful at Washington State being able to do that, where he clearly could not recruit a bunch of, you know, Southeast 6'5", 230, or 330-pound defensive tackles. So he was using a lot of guys that were in that 6'2", 6'3", range, 250, 260 pounds that have to play five techniques and three techniques. And he, he was just doing a lot from a shifting standpoint, a lot of stunts. We haven't actually really seen a whole lot of that at USC. We've seen some shifts. I've seen more shifting here over uh, the, the the course of the past two games. They've done a little more step technique, um, but not a ton of like twist stunts and things like that. So that's something maybe we see a little more down the line, uh, whether it's just in terms of, you know, they don't want to do it because these guys are just still learning the playbook or it's just a matter of holding back some of the playbook. You know, we're going to see, I think, here in the next couple games, you got to kind of put it all out there. You know, Washington State's a very good team. They can come in, they can beat you at home, and certainly Utah can, can beat you on the road. So you kind of have to uh, open it all up in the next two games. Correct me if I'm wrong. This started off as a question to me about Lafitte, and I don't know how we ended up here. We, we're talking about defensive <laughs> linemen and their frames and sort of what you're looking for. Are you looking for smallish, quicker guys? Whereas a guy like Dejan Lafitte, you're not really giving up a whole lot, you know, in terms of size. He, he's a, a decent sized defensive tackle. And in fact, he's probably going to end up being a four star because he's verified. You know, I mean, I've, I've been able to see him up close and I've seen he's got the long arms. He, he's legitimately a six two, you know, maybe six three, um, kind of depending, you know, if, I, I, high school, he's six three. I, I think if you put him on an NFL, um, you know, weight and height uh, combine tape, He's probably going to be in that like six one and three quarters, six two ish uh, in socks. So I mean, he's he's got the legitimate height that you want to be able to to play at that you know two ninety three hundred pound range, which is I think uh, probably where he ends up. Some of these other players, that's where the question becomes. Now, I don't think Elijah Hughes would be so much as a a three technique or one shade as he'd be a guy that you would play at the five technique. But again. You're looking at him in comparison to a guy like uh, Mateo Ngulele, who's just, you know, a lot bigger and a lot longer. And that's the trend of most defenses. Most defenses you see that are these hybrid 3-4 defenses in college football are using those taller players that have, you know, the longer arms. And it's all just about reacting to, you know, getting off those defenses or those offensive linemen who are, you know, 6'6", 310 pounds, and they've got long arms. It's, you know, sort of a chess game there. Well, I definitely saw Dejan, as I said, and I came away thinking, oh, that's a really – that's a, a, a legit-looking guy. And then I realized it was him, and I was like, okay, I, I agree with you. Kind of that six-foot-two – I wouldn't call him six-foot-three. Uh, Hughes definitely has uh, – was longer than him. 
Uh, Dejan definitely heavier, and I agree, you know, he's a defensive tackle all day. Hughes definitely kind of that five technique guy. But I saw Dejan, and I was like, okay, if 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 that was my first time seeing him after he committed, which, which I mean, it was. But I mean, like if like you went to the game to see him for the first time in person, I'd be like, okay, yeah, that's a guy who, you know, power five guy that looks like a guy who could play. And yeah, I think you could definitely see him as a four star kind of down the line. And that was my kind of impression. Just seeing him walk by once, I wish I could have seen him a little bit more. But that was kind of my uh, my initial gauging of uh, Lafitte. And before, I mean, before we got on Dejan, uh, just that last group of guys, which are just the key unofficial guys, the guys you look at like, oh, okay, that's a big guy to get on campus. You've mentioned him several times. Mateo uh, was on campus. Four-star 2023 cornerback Roderick Pleasant was on campus. And the other significant one, five-star 2024 defensive lineman T.A. Cunningham made his First stop by USC this season. Finally got cleared to play for Los Al uh, that Friday. Decided to celebrate, I guess. Maybe come out to the game with some of his teammates. The other one, five-star 2024 safety Peyton Woodyard uh, was also on campus. He was with several other big Bosco guys. Marcellus Williams, Max Williams' younger brother. No really surprise there, but he was part of that contingent. Uh, Kingston Billy. Uh, uh, excuse, excuse me. Asa. Thank you, Gerard. Thank you. He was part of that group. Jordan Lockhart, three-star 2024 linebacker, Ole Miss commit. He was also part of that. Some some uh, uh, modern-day guys were also there. Four-star 2024 cornerback, Sabian Brown. And the five-star caliber, uh, four-star 2025 running back, Jordan Davidson. Davidson, he was also in attendance. So some big underclassmen guys were there, mostly – being with uh, T.A. Cunningham, Gerard, a five-star defensive lineman on campus. Yeah, and that's, I mean, we're talking about prototypical size on the defensive line, and that's kind of sort of what you want. You know, a guy who's uh, a junior that's, you know, I think he's listed at 6'6", 265. I think he's a little closer to 270, 275 at this point. But, you know, long arms, tall Guy that can, you know, has the athleticism to be a three technique. We actually went to go see him. Maybe we'll get in that later uh, in the in the Friday night light section. But uh, certainly, you know, comparatively, when you're looking at uh, the, the the sort of profile that you want as a defensive lineman, I think for any scheme, T.A. Cunningham. And, and he had a great time. Uh, we, we were able to follow up a little bit with him uh, on the visit first time, you know, getting down there. He's been to USC unofficially. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this was the first uh, game he was able to take in and it was a decent environment. You know, a lot of people were like, Hey, you know, we want to know, you know, what are the recruits think? What do the recruits think? You know, it's a boilerplate reaction for most of the recruits. There's very few guys. I would say 90% of the recruits pretty much say the same thing about a game and a game atmosphere um, for most games. There's, there's, there's some outliers and there's some kids that can really break things down for you and give you some unique answers because what I found is a lot of the guys just tend to watch the football game. They don't get into specifically watching one player or watching one team uh, or excuse me, watching one player or watching one position. You know, they're, 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 they're just sort of watching the football, hanging out, having fun, posting on social media, talking to their friends on their phone. It's just not what fans think. I, I, I can, I can't convey that enough 
that the fans watch these games so more intently than these recruits do. And a lot of the guys, if it's a blowout, they leave before the end of the game. I mean, several guys left in the third quarter. And so, you know, they didn't stick around and talk with the coaches afterwards and hang out or whatever. You know what? That the atmosphere is, is coming back to the Coliseum. It's great to see. Uh, you know, USC played really well. They don't get into a lot of specifics. You start asking about, well, you know, what do you think of this play or that play? And it's just like you can tell they don't have a whole lot to say about that in terms of, you know, watching the player or, you know, how the secondary play. Well, I think they played good. You know, what what was it about it that you thought that, you know, what what plays or what players gave you that opinion that they played well? And, you know, it's just like, oh, I mean, I don't know. I just, you know, they think that they, they did a good job and it's very, very vanilla. And unfortunately, it's sort of like that most uh, reactions that you get. So, yeah, you're, you're not getting this overwhelmingly, you know, it, it's, it's amazing. I, I think, you know, after a bigger win, certainly like I think the Fresno State game was a little bigger for USC in, in, in most eyes. I think Washington State will be bigger because obviously ASU is in a little bit in flux right now without a coaching staff. Um, the Notre Dame game is going to be the biggest. I mean, that is going to be the game where you're going to get more sort of reaction. And if, you know, USC is able to win that game, I'm sure you're going to get some kids that go like, yeah, you know, USC looks like they're back to being on top or what have you. But again, as fans and, and as, as people that cover this for a living, you know, we're not going to come to that conclusion just yet. And we've talked about that before, you know, trying to not do the Texas thing where <laughs> they win a couple of big games and say, ah, they're back. They're back. They're so, back, baby. Yeah, I didn't see Vince Young walk through the tunnel there. Um, so, yeah, I think, uh, you know, it, it's just one of those things in terms of uh, the reactions that we get, uh, talking to a few of these guys, um, you know, Aaron Butler, Dylan Williams, uh, chatting with uh, Peyton Woodyard. You know, they had a good time, and they, and they like to see the atmosphere is, 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 is back in the Coliseum. Um, but it's just still going to take a little more to move the needle. And I think some of it with some of these guys is also, you know, where is USC with them on their board? You know, I, I do kind of question there's some guys there that are good players that are showing up to some of these visits, still trying to feel out what their ceiling is going to be for this 2023 class. But it's true in other positions. Where's the class? What can they really get? And I think in some respects, it's like, okay, let's just get whatever guys we can, a bird in the hand sort of thing. In other cases, I think it's a little more like, hey, you know what? We want to be patient here, and we want to see what we can do as the season starts to play out and some of these other programs start to lose games and there starts to be questions about their coaching staffs and what have you because that's ultimately what creates a lot of decommitments. It's the question as to you know who's going to be fired, the relationships that those kids have with position coaches, not just head coach, but position coaches. Those, those coaches end up leaving, it, it opens things up again. And that final group of guys I just wanted to hit on, guys that necessarily don't have offers, but just some guys to keep an eye on. Uh, four-star 2024 offensive tackle Jensen Somerville, six foot seven, had a blonde mullet out of Utah. Just a guy to keep an eye on. He, he definitely caught my eye. Another Utah guy, interior offensive lineman in the 2024 class, Semisi Tonga. A uh, big interior line guy, uh, three-star tight end Reiner Reiner Swanson, uh, local tight end. He was there. Unranked 2024 defensive lineman Connor uh, Bachhuber. I believe he is from the. Uh, I'm blanking on the name. Where did uh, Sam Darnold go to? 
San Clemente. I believe he's from San Clemente. San Clemente High School. The home of Jared Perez. Oh, that's five stars only, Jared Perez. Shout out. Uh, 2025 defensive lineman Tyler Parker out of Santa Margarita. Also, Emmett Mosley, the four-star 2024 athlete out of Santa Margarita as well. And then 2026 linebacker Samu Moala, who left with an offer. The only offer that we've seen that come that has come out of that that uh, that uh, visit group. Uh, 2026 linebacker, as I said, plays at Losinger. I believe I said that right. Uh, six foot three, 230 pounds. I saw him when I was walking up the tunnel to go to the media room, and I was looking at him, and I was like, "That's a really, that's a like a." Big looking kid, really long arms. Like his wingspan is probably significant. And I didn't know he was. I didn't know who he was. I didn't know he was a 2026. But looking at him, how big he was as a 2026, I was like, okay, that makes sense why they have to offer him. But he holds early offers from USC, Utah, and Washington. Uh, so, guy, maybe I might go see this weekend. We'll see. See if I want to make the drive out to uh, Beverly Hills. But Gerard, those were kind of the guys that. Uh, caught my eye as far as guys that maybe didn't have an offer. Some of them did. One got one. But those are just kind of that final group of visitors uh, in that category. Um, You know, Dakota Hill's down there because I was told like midweek he's probably not going to make it. And USC battling Oregon, I think, for his attention. And over the summer getting him to camp, I mean, USC made a big move there because I think at that point he was all Oregon. And we had spoken to him in May during the May evaluation period. And at one of his scrimmages, he was just like, Oregon, 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 Oregon. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, USC's there. Oregon, Oregon, Oregon. And I think that's just one of those kids that he knows USC from the Clay Hilton era. Then that's it. And if that's your opinion of USC, you know, you understand. Okay, well, like you're not very high on USC. But now the coaching staff, I've been being around Dante Williams a lot more at that camp. And then now you transition to the season and, and USC, uh, you know, proof of life. They're, 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 they're playing football again at USC, and it looks a lot better than it did last season. He's definitely a lot more interested. I mean, that's a big 6'3", you know, 180-pound cornerback that uh, you, know, you can see USC really likes and uh, played pretty well at that camp. And, and one of the other names, you know, tight end uh, Reiner Swanson from uh, Laguna Beach is another guy that was at the camps that uh, USC seemed to love up a lot. He doesn't have a scholarship offer yet, but potentially could be a guy that uh, they move on, I think, in the near future. He's been at USC a couple times. You know, Vaca Henson is another guy that the pair style really likes to mm-hmm. talk about a lot. Um, another defensive lineman on the West Coast, a guy that I think got to work on some grades. But, you know, it goes back to that conversation, talking a little bit about defensive linemen and what the profile looks like for a USC defensive lineman in the future. Vaca Henson is a little more of an old school, School traditional uh, defensive lineman, defensive tackle, not necessarily the the more mobile. Um, you know, the, I thought it was interesting the way you said that Elijah Hughes was a little longer than Dejan Lafitte. That's that's interesting to me because again, I mean, longer means you can probably put on more weight, right? It, it just means you've got a frame where you can pack on a little more pounds, and the player that you are now may not necessarily be the player that you are projected as in the future. So uh, I think all of this is, is very interesting just to watch in terms of scheme and what fits, you know, what Alex Grinch did at Washington state was not what he was doing in Oklahoma, but nevertheless, there was a lot of complaints from Oklahoma fans among other things that their defense was just a little small and they were trying to go for speed 
more than they were trying to go for size, and that hurt them in the college football playoffs. So it's going to be interesting going forward to see what Grinch does here at USC because I think at USC you got a higher ceiling in terms of the players are going to be able to commit. Now, the, the, the thing is, though, do you have a higher ceiling recruiting Texas? Because I would think Oklahoma recruiting Texas, you're able to get more of those kids out of Texas than you're going to be to get at USC. Um, so, you know, the other aspect of that to talk about a little bit is probably the defensive tackles that are in the portal and sort of how that plays out, you know, and thinking back to how USC has recruited defensive linemen in the South out of high school over the years, even going back to Pete Carroll, it's always been a challenge. It's been a real challenge getting those kids, those top end kids out of the South, out of high school. Does that change with the portal when you've got those kids, you know, a little older, you know, they spend a couple of years in college. Does that make them a little more worldly, a, a little more apt to be able to go cross country to go play football? Cross country. I went cross country, Gerard. Worked out for me. It did from the DMV. And that's why you're our DMV guy. So Elijah Hughes, all you, baby. All me. Gerard, is there anything else you want to add about this list? I think it's time we turn on some Friday Night Lights. We could make a podcast just talking about each and every one of these players. And I know there's some play, and there's some, some podcast listeners right now, some Peristyle members that are pounding the table saying, well, do it. That's, that's, that's what we want. We want to hear you go through and talk about the recruitment and the player evaluation for every one of these guys. But that would probably actually make this a four hour podcast. And we're not longer than that. Longer than that, Gerard. Let's not get that. Okay. I'd say at least five hours on top of everything. On top of everything. We're doing everything in the show on top of that. I think it's time that we can move on. We don't need to go through every single visitor because a lot of these guys are probably going to be back next week. It's, you know, you're going to see the increase and consistency of the local players showing up to these visits and they're just going to be at SC every weekend. That's just, you know, how it's going to be. So, you know, from one weekend to the next, there's not going to be a whole lot of different stuff to report. It's going to be an accumulation of being around USC and being around the coaching staff and they get more and more comfortable. And that makes it easier and easier to recruit locally. That's how it works. That's, you know, how it should work with Clay Helton. But obviously when you've got a piss poor product to show on the football field, you kind of want to keep those players away from the game. You don't want them to show up because they start to see, you know, what, you, what your player development looks like. And that, uh, you know, you get, I think, the opinion of uh, USC that many of these players in the 2024 and 2023 class have had. And, and it's hard for people to even understand. This goes back to the daily uh, David Bailey conversation that we had. It's like if you only knew USC from watching them, let's say, the past two years, right? The 2021 season and the 2020 season, um, you know, you had that, well, that abbreviated season where they actually went five and one. They still look like crap, in my opinion, but nevertheless, they still went five and one. I still think you just would not have a great opinion of USC as a football program. I think you would think, okay, this is not the same level as the Big Ten and the SEC because they just hadn't played that level. You have to have more of a historic reference frame of mind for what USC was under Pete Carroll to really know or, or think that USC traditionally could ac- actually play with those SEC programs. And with that, let's transition into Friday Night Lights. I was back on the high school beat, got to see a game. Uh, Gerard, this is usually your domain where you kind of lead this one. Do you want to go or do you want me to take it on? 
Uh, sure. I mean, well, I got to see a game Thursday, which is uh, always nice to to get uh, the week started early. I, I went out and I, I got a back-to-back viewing of our boy Dejan Lafitte. Lafitte. Um, you know, just good to see defensive linemen. It's certainly a guy, like I said before, a three-star who, you know, talking to Greg Biggins, Greg wants to push him up to a four-star, but, you know, he hasn't shown up to any camps. He's really sort of a, a little bit of an unknown um, just from a off-season standpoint. You know, not a lot of people really knew about him coming into the year. And even USC, I mean, Sean Nua didn't really start talking to him until like a, like a couple of weeks before he actually got that scholarship offer. So this is one of those examples of a kid that is earning his scholarship offers from his senior play. And we talked about it before. You want to recruit the best senior high school football players. You don't want to recruit the best sophomore high school football players and then have them flatline on their potential and their ability uh, two years uh, into into high school. So Dejan Lafitte uh, had five tackles, two for losses, and I counted a sack and a half. He had a, a bit more dominant game against uh, Diamond Ranch this past uh, week, 16-7. to seven. They ended up winning this game. They kind of got blown out in the second half of the game against Trooper Hills. Uh, so this was a game where he was just a, a little bit more dominant. And, um, you know, you could see after that drubbing that they took in the second half against Drupal Hills, they were a little more focused. Offense still struggled a lot in this game. And, and, and Diamond Ranch is not a very good team. And the only uh, offense that Diamond Ranch was actually able to get was from Trinidad Wilson. Uh, our, our boy Trinidad Wilson, who is another uh, elite camp invitee for USC over the summer. And we watched him play a do- really just defensive line. And he's about 6'5", 330 pounds. Moves pretty well for a big fella. You know, uh, it's going to be interesting. Okay. To see. He's definitely going to develop a little more. But, I mean, you got that size and you've got that mobility. It's interesting to see. He ended up having, I think it was like a 60-yard uh, fumble recovery for a touchdown. So that was the lone touchdown that Diamond Ranch ended up getting in the game. Uh, so he's a 2024 recruit. We're going to uh, see, you know, again, uh, if he starts to accumulate some offers and, and starts to become a little bit um, bigger picture on the radar for some of these Pac-12 schools. I think he's, you know, I think he's definitely a Pac-12 level player. It's just going to be whether he's actually a USC level player. Um, we had Oaks Christian. Uh, they end up beating Calabasas, uh, 29-16. A good game for Oaks Christian. Aaron Butler, you know, a lot of questions whether he's, you know, going to be a DB, which is where USC, I think, originally started recruiting him, or is he going to be a wide receiver? It's interesting uh, that uh, Greg Biggins, in his little write-up of the game, said, you know, he kind of reminds him of Jack Jones. There's some Jack Jones comparisons there. So, you know, we know Jack Jones ended up playing defensive back in college and actually had a pretty good weekend in the NFL this past week. as a rookie. Pick six, pick six. Yeah, so Jack Jones uh, getting his stuff together and um, – there's a there's there's a lot to talk about with Jack Jones, and I won't even go, <laughs> go down that rabbit hole. But uh, yeah, Jack Jones is that Jack rabbit hole. Uh, Jack rabbit hole, yeah. It's a Jack rabbit hole. Game, and uh, that's not a bad co- that's not a bad uh, comparison and kind of a compliment for for Aaron Butler. Certainly, uh, seeing where Jack Jones is now, uh, I think USC would would uh, like to see if Aaron Butler could uh, be an NFL guy for them. So interesting, you know. He's he's had a couple of uh, uh, receptions for touchdowns, and uh, he's still playing DB. I think I still like him at DB personally, but I can see where there's a little more uh, question. And I think for him, he likes scoring those touchdowns, man. You know, those kids, they, they, who doesn't, who doesn't drink? They like scoring those touchdowns. So we'll see uh, how that develops over the next year or so. He's 
2024, so he's still a junior, but uh, still uh, solidly committed to USC. Um, Long Beach Poly, now this is the game that you went to, so I will hand the reins over to you. Uh, Poly game, a little interesting. There's, there's a guy there committed to LSU that was actually on an unofficial visit in Corvallis when USC had that big win. Yeah, that would be Dalen Austin, the four-star cornerback in the 2023 class, a guy that USC is still very much pursuing. But Polly wiped the floor with Milliken, 42-0. Very interesting game, Gerard, because if you follow, you know, high school sports in the southern section and especially in the Long Beach area, Milliken is recently mired in controversy. They had to forfeit several of their games after a fast start to the season due to ineligible players. Uh, and it's caused this sort of uh, faculty administration response where they're not allowing media to do interviews with the players. They did not allow it last week. They did not allow it this week. And they were being particularly tough about who was allowed on the field. They had a specific list. I got jammed up at the gate. I always hate getting jammed up, if, even, if I, even though I have a CIF credential. If you have a CIF pass, in the southern section, you are allowed on the field no matter what. No ifs, ands, or buts. If you have the card, you get in. But these schools try to make lists, especially in the situation where they are very reactive to media coverage of you know, something that does not put their school in a, in a good light. They're very reactive to that and want to try to limit everybody to get on the field. So I got jammed up. Hate getting jammed up. But I got on the field because I always get on the field because I'm freaking 10K and I do what I want. But I got on the field. Milliken was down yeah, players. What did you say? What did you say? Yeah, that's why. Yeah, that's why. Uh, no, it's because I had a CIF credential. But Milliken was – it was interesting because Milliken was down some players. They did not have their four-star 2024 quarterback, quarterback, Miles Jackson. He did not play in this game, nor did their backup play in this game. So the quarterback duties fell to four-star 2024 Wide receiver and USC target Jordan Anderson. He was playing quarterback for most of the night. They had a third string kid they were bringing at times, but it was mainly Jordan Addison. He was kind of playing, you know, that Jason Mitchell kind of real role, a athlete who can throw a decent spiral, but he can run. So that's kind of what the their game plan was, kind of slow the game down. Didn't work. Long Beach probably kept scoring and Easy to it is easy to stop them unless there were some penalties and there were some penalties against Long Beach Poly. But Dylan Williams still a guy, just a big big dude, gonna pair nicely when he gets to college with uh, Tackett Curtis at that mic. Him at the will should make a very formidable duo. Jason Robinson had some plays made, not didn't you know destroy. I believe he had a touchdown in this game. Uh, but the big thing was watching kind of Dalen Austin. Deshaun Jackson was there, and there were times he would shout. Dalen Austin on the field and coach him up on the field right before a play. I thought that was interesting, but didn't get to talk to Dalen after the game. USC still very much in pursuit of him. Talks to Dante, talks to Lincoln Riley. I will have a full story up at some point this week, but did get out to Corvallis, gave his thoughts on the USC defense. Does like that, you know, they played really well. They're turning the ball over. Still trying to get him on campus for an official visit, but went to Oregon this past weekend. That's where he was. But USC still very much in pursuit of Dalen Austin at a Long Beach Poly. Just south of the game that uh, you watched, you had Los Alamitos playing Northport Harbor. So Los Alamitos getting into the Sunset League now. And uh, they're probably going to dominate the Sunset League. <laughs> Los Alamitos 
beat Newport Harbor 61-21, as we talked about before. This was T.A. Cunningham's first week actually getting to play for the Griffins. So we got to see him a little bit. Our boy, Jarrett, only five stars Perez, was down uh, to (laughs) check out the game and uh, said, you know, T.A. had had a decent game. Nothing amazing, didn't have a bunch of sacks or anything. But certainly, you know, he was being rotated as well because he's, you know, probably a little out of shape, you know, trying to get into that game shape. And uh, you're playing against other teams and players that are in midseason shape. So, yeah, it's going to take him a little while to kind of get his legs back with him and everything. But uh, had a decent game. Uh, we'll probably hold that tape and maybe get some more film of him so we can kind of have a combined tape a little bit just because, again, we don't want to necessarily just uh, put ISO tape on him in his first game. Um, I kind of did the same thing with Christian Pierce. And so uh, might, you know, get two games of him and then put up uh, some highlights of him from the two games. But uh, this was his uh, first game back. And like you said, he originally wasn't supposed to go to USC for his unofficial visit. I had talked to the coaching staff and they didn't think he was going to make it up there. So that was a win for USC after his uh, first game of the season playing in California to get him then uh, to the Coliseum. Quarterback uh, Malachi Nelson ends up throwing uh, now for the season, he's got 1600 yards, uh, 84 for 147. So the uh, passing percentage is a little down for him uh, right now, uh, with 20 touchdowns and interception. But you also have to remember that, um, you know, he's playing against pretty good competition. This isn't a mm-hmm. normal low sal schedule that they played this year, and uh, so he's, um, you know, kind of uh, picked it up and playing against some of the big boys now. And so uh, now you're going to probably see you know, his passing percentage and everything go up quite a bit over the next uh, couple of uh, weeks here. Uh, and then you had uh, Pacifica up there in Ventura County playing Channel Islands. And uh, this game wasn't close uh, either. This was a score of 72 to zero. Wow. Yeah, it's tough, man. 70 points and a complete shutout. Uh, don't know how that even can happen with the running clock, but uh, it happened. Uh, Malachi, the other Malachi on the uh, USC commit list, Malachi Crawford, uh, for the season now, he's got 24 tackles, one interception, and six pass breakups. And uh, the other game that was kind of interesting to mention, Modern Day uh, only beating Jay Sarah, 21-13. So kind of thought Modern Day would uh, open that up a little more against Jay Sarah. Obviously, they've got that game that they're looking forward to, St. John Bosco, this week. So maybe they're looking ahead a little bit. Maybe they pulled some guys to, uh, you know, to 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 save them for the St. John Bosco game. Didn't see that game in person, so I can't tell you exactly what happened. Uh, but um, kind of an interesting score there uh, going forward to uh, St. John Bosco this weekend. They keep surviving. Modern Day keeps surviving. They had a couple of uh, close games this year, so we'll see how that plays out uh, for Bosco week, which we will talk about at the end for our high school football very briefly. But, yeah, that – is going to wrap up another edition of Friday Night Lights. We'll find out where we're probably going to be heading at the end of this show for questions. But just I want to run through some top performers. This is just a little section where we highlight some uh, USC commits mainly for for games that they've had over the weekend when we can find them because, you know, it's kind of hard these days to you would think there'd be easier ways to get get stats, but not everyone updates. But Jacoby Lane, the USC wide receiver, had 10 catches for a buck 18 and a touchdown. Not bad, finally. I feel like this is his first, like, 100-yard game of the season. Definitely peppering him, 10 catches. Uh, USC running back commit Quentin Joyner, 24 ca- 26 carries for 154 yards and one touchdown. Average 9.2 yards per carry. A very solid day for him. He is going to be getting that's his... That's his season average, Christopher. That's oh, that's his season crazy. average. Okay. 
Okay. Well, even more so impressive. Nine, nearly a first down every touch, Gerard. That's bananas. That's bananas, Foster. And Quentin Joyner will be getting his uh, All-American ceremony jersey, I believe, this week. So congrats to him. And, yeah, it's definitely All-American numbers with a 9.2 yards per carry average. Uh, Zachariah Branch, kind of a more quiet game, but four receptions, 54 yards, and a touchdown. Hard to keep Zach Branch out of the end zone. And then Kate Eldridge doing his athlete thing, playing linebacker and running back. Uh, out there in Washington, Gerard, I don't know what this 51 is. Did he have 51 catches for 10 yards? Is that what that is? <laughs> no, he's uh, ended up being 51 to 10. Okay, okay. Huff, uh, Brandon Huffman, 24-7 sports recruiting editor, went up to the game and actually saw him and said, uh, you know, he's just playing a different sport. Like, uh, <laughs> it's just, uh, you know, at that level of competition, he's kind of a man amongst boys. Uh, played solid, but, um, you know, it was just uh, not not really great competition he was playing against. So, um, you know, we'll see if, uh, you know, he's able to move up to a four-star. I think it's going to be tough just because of the level of competition. Mm-hmm. I, I think that uh, the committee is um, going to be a bit uh, a bit bearish on him, you know, moving up to being a four-star. Uh, he didn't have, like, you know, a crazy, amazing game. But then again, you know, he's he's playing running back. Um, and, and linebacker, and he's 6'4", 235. So I, I don't know if you're necessarily looking for him to have the sort of Roderick Robinson-type game as a, as a, as a running back. Um, but uh, I think, again, we've talked about this in the podcast before, uh, p- plays a really interesting position in high school and how that transitions to what USC probably wants to use him at that H-back position. It just seems like a really perfect fit. We are running through this end of here before we get to our break of the show. But one thing we did want to talk about is the kind of crystal ball stock market. I feel like we haven't done one of these in a minute. But Red Oak, four-star safety, Warren Robeson, who USC had a couple of crystal balls in for after this weekend, picked up some flips in the crystal ball department uh, to TCU uh, for the local uh, Texas safety. So, Gerard, USC may be trending in the – Opposite direction for Warren Roberson, a guy that we were pretty good on that USC was in the leader spot for. Yeah, I think USC definitely was in the leader spot post-visit. Just one of those things where, you know, I always got the sense talking to him that, you know, his mom was a little wary of the distance from home. And I think um, that always was playing a little bit of a role. And, and, And he waited and he sort of waited he wasn't necessarily completely on board with committing early. I think that was a little more of his own coaching staff, the high school that just wanted him to focus on the season and not necessarily be focused on recruiting or or really thinking too much about recruiting. But I think with Warren, he was always sort of feeling like he was still heating up his recruit. His stock was still rising. And obviously we saw that with uh, Texas, you know, giving a scholarship offer. And now he goes to that TCU game and watches TCU obliterate uh, Oklahoma. I, I think that's, you know, obviously why there's uh, a lot of feeling like he's going to, you know, go in that direction. And, and even before that, there was some feeling like TCU was making a bit of a move for him. Um, he was maybe going to make that commitment uh, last month. And I talked to him right beforehand. I think at that point in time, it would have been USC for sure. But I think now, yeah, I think it's slipped a little for USC. And the fact that, you know, USC is playing really well and they're not necessarily gaining a lot of momentum for him. I think he 
really sort of wants to play closer to home. I, I don't know if USC's out of it at this point. Uh, I actually checked in with him uh, the other day, didn't hear back from him. Um, that's a little bit telling as well. But um, I think that, uh, yeah, I, I think the school's closer to home. He's always sort of had a little bit of a, a feel for, and um, I will see going forward if, 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 if USC is able to, to kind of get back in the game, get him back on campus. They've, they've already used that official visit. So he did say at some point he was thinking about making an unofficial visit back to USC, but he didn't have any date, didn't have any you know, real idea of when he wanted to get in, but he did want to see a game. You know, he was very adamant on that. He did want to see a game. So we'll see if that happens or he commits uh, to TCU before that point. Uh, but interesting because, you know, you had Braxton Myers decommit from USC a few weeks earlier and ends up uh, at Ole Miss. You know, he and Warburton are, are similar. We talked about this before. It's kind of similar players a little bit. I like Warburton more because I think he does more. You know, he's, he's a bigger playmaker on the offensive side of the ball. He's going to be a safety uh you know, maybe a nickel corner at the next level, but it's always good to see when you've got a guy that's got some ball skills and he's got some speed and he can do some things all over the field for you. You like to see that versatility, not real big on high school cornerbacks that only play cornerback. I don't, I don't really like that. I, I think if you're that good of an athlete, the high school level, you should be playing both sides of the ball. And so Roberson does that. So it, it is a bit of a loss for USC if they're not able to get them. But as we've always said, even when uh, Braxton Myers decommitted, it seems like the defensive back position, when you've got Dante Williams there, you're always going to have some options. You know, he always cultivates options. So I think USC is going to be okay at defensive back. I uh, agree. And final note before we kind of uh, hit the break, Gerard, you tweeted about Sam Green's senior highlights. I believe it was a midseason highlight. You talked a little bit about it uh, at the top of the show when we were talking about uh, defensive lineman recruits. But did anything kind of stand out to you just looking over his midseason highlights? You know, just kind of like we talked a little bit earlier, he's, he's so explosive. He plays a lot more one technique in some of the games that we had not seen. You know, in the Venice game, he played a little more three technique. But he's used as a one shade sometimes. And he's just his, his speed and his quickness, being able to get off the ball really quickly. Again, at the high school level, probably a little easier to do. He is playing against good competition, but – you think he's probably going to be more of a three technique, even if not a five technique at the college level, trying to use that quickness and that speed. I don't know if you're going to put 20, 30 pounds on him. That's, that's the big question. That's what the question that everybody has, you know, he's a three star right now. Brian don't kind of explain that to the pair style, just in terms of his size. He's, you know, six, one, maybe six, two. And it's like, you know, how much weight are you going to put on him to be able to play inside? And nowadays, you know, with football, you know, what you're looking at in terms of the trends, he would probably be kicked out to another technique, maybe three or five. And then, you know, you know, how does he play at that technique? It's a little different position. And um, yeah, I guess it's just in terms of projection, you know, how he's going to play. But certainly right now, you know, at the high school level, I mean, he's as quick as a cat. He, he fires out of there uh, and, and, and makes a lot of plays even away from his gap assignment. And that's, uh, that's pretty big, you know, when you're able to, to run down plays from the backside and when you've got so many mobile quarterbacks nowadays, having a defensive lineman that can change direction is, is really important. And he's a guy that can certainly change direction. Uh, certainly. So, um, that's something that uh, we're just going to have to see, uh, from a, from a physical standpoint, when he comes out here and he officially visits USC, kind of get an eyeball on him. Um, like I said, 24 seven sports has seen him in person. And that's the biggest question in terms of if he's going to be an interior lineman, how much weight is he going to be able to put on and how does that weight affect his quickness and his ability to be as athletic as he is right now? 
quick as a cat. I like that. I'll be stealing that, even though I've heard that before, but haven't heard in a while. But thank you for that update on Sam Green. Gerard, this might be our the deepest into the show we've ever gotten before taking a break at nearly an hour and 30. So are you ready for a break? And then we're going to come back and talk about USC, Arizona State, so a look around college football, and then you know tap into the upcoming high school football schedule. And of course, uh, listen to questions. Let's do it. All right. We'll be right back after this break. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, Hurricane, we are back from an actual break this time. Just a little behind the scenes. Gerard, you re, uh, reset your router because we're having a little bit connectivity issues, but we're back. And ready to close out the back half of this podcast strong, Gerard. Just like USC's defense, we have to come out with a little bit more edge in the second half of this. Wow, that's a that's a heck of a segue there. Hey, hey, like I know what I'm doing sometimes. Oh, and then I dropped it there. But yes, uh, USC defeated Arizona State 42-25 on Saturday in the Coliseum. They improved to 5-0 on the season. I've already bested last year's total win total of four. As I said, undefeated, number six in the country. Gerard, we always we do this now in season. Your recruiting angle, you get some positives, you get some negatives. What do you want to start with in terms of what you saw and kind of the impact of recruiting? Well, I think, you know, the interesting angle is the fact that you've got your two highest rated uncommitted offensive tackles there visiting in the Coliseum. And certainly, and this is just my opinion now, because I got some pushback on it. People don't like to hear negative feedback when it comes to the team, you know, sure. and, and certainly we always have to put these things into context and where USC is in terms of rebuilding, et cetera, et cetera. But nevertheless made a tweet said, you know, kind of interesting that USC has, two of its top-rated tackles on the visits, one official, one unofficial. You you mentioned Caleb Lamu. I think you accidentally said official when you were talking about him. He was on the unofficial. Sorry, just, sorry, sorry. Yeah, for the for the record, if, if you're still listening at this point in the podcast. And oh, they are. Earlier. Oh, they are. <laughs> so he was on an unofficial. Uh, but the offensive line, they didn't play their best game. You know, I, I didn't say they necessarily played bad. I said they weren't playing their best game, and they did not play – their best game of the season. Now, some of that has to be accredited to ASU. 
but it seemed like on the edges for the offensive tackles. They were on skates a little bit there. They had those DNs pushing up field quite a bit, and USC wasn't necessarily getting blitzed a whole lot by ASU. A lot of it was just four-man fronts, and they were having some trouble. Now, they only gave up one sack in the game, but Caleb Williams is probably the main reason for that. I mean, he got away from several big negative plays, and that's, you know, again, the mobile quarterback, recruiting a mobile quarterback, what works uh, at the college level, and really was just what works for Lincoln Riley. Certainly, we saw it with Sam Darnold where he was able to get away from negative plays, and that's something that really helped USC, really not just last night or the last game, but against Oregon State as well. There was several plays where Caleb Williams was, I mean, quite frankly, probably game-changing plays because when you have a game that's that close, any big negative play in the offensive backfield could end up changing field position drastically, it could take you out of a field goal, et cetera, et cetera. So I think one of the negatives, um, just at face value, was the first half and how the offensive line was playing. But, you know, I, I also, in the recruiting angle piece that I wrote for the site, have to sort of package that in a way that it's not completely negative. It's really depending on the recruiter because good recruiters can always sort of flip the script a little bit. And you can look at it and say, well, listen, performance-wise, it probably wasn't the best game for the offensive tackles for USC. But you can also say, look it, this is why we're bringing you in here. You see the other pieces of the puzzle that we have. You see the other pieces of the puzzle that we have in the 2023 recruiting class as well. We've got the five-star quarterback. We've got the five-star receivers. We've got two really good four-star running backs. Okay, we need offensive linemen. That's the missing component to this. And even when you're looking at the team now, you can make that argument, and we've already made that argument, talking about the depth and the lack of four-star players and five-star players. USC has recruited the last three recruiting cycles. This is why we need you to come in right away. And you sell that ability to make an impact early on for the team. So it's... In one way, you kind of have to go, okay, development-wise, we need to see better from the players that are on the field right now. But at the same time, players on the field right now, you've got a guy that you brought over from Virginia, wasn't necessarily like a franchise, you know, everybody's pegging him to be a first-round pick. And Bobby Haskins, Bobby Haskins was a solid player for Virginia, and he's a solid player now for USC. Um, you know, Cortland Ford was a guy that was a three-star coming out of high school. Jonah Monheim was a three-star. I think he was a four-star with some publications. I really liked him out of high school, but he was certainly was not a consensus four-star. So you're talking about some players that from a talent standpoint are not necessarily like these highly touted guys. So USC's trying to do more with less at this point. And that is the angle that you have to take. That is what this piece is about. There was some talk on the peristyle, some criticisms of, well, this is not really recruiting nuggets or information necessarily like not what it is a recruiting action piece it's not that it's really linking and bridging together how things on the football field whether it's personnel moves the performance of certain players um just in terms of how the game sort of plays itself out with coaching management moves and and, and things of that nature that how the scheme is being used how that sort of bridges onto the recruiting trail and, and the perspective of a lot of recruits in terms of going through the recruiting trail, how that might impact their recruitment. So I think this is a, another good example of it's interesting. I mean, it obviously did not hurt USC a lot. 
I mean, we say, well, it's kind of a negative that the offensive line didn't play its best game in front of two of the highest rated uh, non-committed offensive tackles that you have. Well, one of those guys just turned around and commit, Elijah Page. So clearly that is a positive because Josh Henson is doing his job as a recruiter. He went back there and said, listen, you know what? We didn't play our best today, blah, 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 whatever it was. But listen, this is why we need better players. These are not like five-star guys we have as booking offensive tackles. No disrespect to them, but they're not guys that were like, you know, really highly sought off players at high school. We need to get those players in order to get back to being at an elite level. And we've got the quarterback, you know, we've got the running backs. We're, we're going to have the skill positions. It's literally for offense. It's one thing and one thing only, and it's offensive linemen. And we see USC is putting a great value on that. And being able to get Elijah Page is huge. And we already went out that, so I won't rehash that. But certainly – that was an aspect of it that we saw coming away from the game. You know, Caleb Williams, how important it is to have a mobile quarterback. You know, we know that that's something that has worked very well for Lincoln Riley, which is why we're always a little confused when we see scholarship offers go out to players that maybe are more pocket quarterbacks. Um, we've talked about this before. So, again, that's another thing I don't want to rehash. And you want to hear those conversations go back to last week or the week before uh, or, or any point where we're talking about, you know, a Dylan Riola. Uh, yeah. Or even you know Elijah Brown to some extent, although Elijah Brown I think is a little more mobile than maybe a Dylan Riola or a Devin Brown, who USC pursued uh, at the end of the 2022 cycle uh, when Lincoln Riley first came aboard. Now, you know, is it really uh, them going after a guy and 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 marking him as a player that they want to build their offense around, or is that just one of those situations where they knew they wanted to have another scholarship quarterback on the roster? And they felt like, hey, look at this is this is a talented player. Let's just get this guy at the end of the year and keep him committed. It wasn't necessarily them going after a guy uh, that was a non-commit that they had to try to persuade. So maybe that was just a little bit of it. But nevertheless, if any broke, don't fix it. And it just seems like Lincoln Riley's offenses are proficient when they have a guy with escapability and that can run the ball. And we saw that again. This past weekend, nine different receivers touched the ball. That's a big deal. You know, they had all three of their wide receiver commits at the Coliseum. So Jacoby Lane making his first uh, debut uh, cameo at the Coliseum watching. Uh, I'm sure he was probably pretty pumped up from what he saw, uh, certainly from uh, Jordan Addison, who's going to be their bell cow in terms of accolades and rewards. You know, it's really easy to recruit off of awards. It's very easy to recruit off of draft status statistics this is why lane kiffin is a good recruiter he recruits off statistics he goes in there he has numbers and for a lot of people numbers do not lie now we know that numbers can sometimes be skewed but for most people when you're talking about statistics you say look at this is what this player was able to do this is the production we had for him this is what you're going to be able and, and step into that void and be able to get these type of numbers and it's it's very very persuasive from a recruiting angle so i think that's Pretty big. It continues to be big for USC to have Jordan Addison out there. Um, but at the same time, they're spreading the ball around quite a bit. We saw Raleigh Brown get in there. I think it's a positive seeing true freshmen getting in there. And during uh, points in the game, which the game is still contested. I think that's the key with Raleigh Brown. We've seen that uh, you throughout, you know, the games he's been in. It's not necessarily just in there during, you know, the junk time. He's getting reps early on in games. And he flashed again in this game, just just 
shoestrings away from maybe making some big runs. So we're going to stay on him. I think another interesting thing we're going to see from him now, he's on the kickoff return team. So that's the dynamic that we kind of talked about uh, maybe last week. I know I tweeted about having Brennan Rice out there as a kick returner. I wasn't feeling that so much. He's a little tall. He's a little big. He's a little big target. Not necessarily like the quickest receiver they have. With kick returns, punts, or kick kickoffs, it's a lot about acceleration, man. I mean, you do not have a lot of time to get going fast. Guys have angles on you. And so I like Relief Brown back there. Obviously, he's got to have ball security. That's the biggest thing. That's the most important thing. If he can show he has ball security, then he's going to continue to be out there and he's going to get that experience and he is going to break one one of these days. It's going to happen. Um, the defense, another positive. They end up having five sacks. So we can talk about them giving up 300-plus yards of offense. They looked uh, shaky in the first half against the run, uh, probably shakier than we thought they were going to look. But second half, I think combining with the way the offense is playing and the offense sort of dictating possessions and not really allowing ASU to continue to just run the football and have to try to catch up points-wise, uh, USC was able to sort of make them a little more one-dimensional. And you get those five sacks, and you end up having only 88 yards when it's all said and done. Rushing. That's all you gave up if you USC. That's that's actually pretty impressive. That's not bad. It is. It is. So that we're still seeing some progression there. We're still seeing the defense get better. And I think certainly second half uh defenses, that's championship level stuff. You you want to have a good second half defense. You want to be able to see what the other team has in the first half. Maybe they score some points, maybe they move the ball. But eventually you want to be able in that second half to make those adjustments and then stop them from being able to do that. So, yeah, that's um, that's a good sign, you know, for USC. And now, you know, they ended up getting that turnover at the end of the game with uh, Kalen Bullock getting that interception, 15 turnovers. So, yeah, there was points in the game if you're sitting there and you're watching every play where you go, ah, you know, the defense is still, man, there's still some holes. They're still getting gashed on some big plays. But if you're just looking statistically, and we talked about this, Kind of what recruits kind of look at. They're a little more box score savvy than they are, like, you know, looking at diagnostic game film like the fans are. What do you see? Five sacks, 15 turnovers. Uh, you're only given 88 yards of, of offense uh, or, you know, um, on the defensive side of the ball and rush offense. That's why, you know, Team Cunningham says, like, oh, man, I think defense is playing great. I think, you know, the game looks great. And, and that's really the opinion of, of most of the recruits at this point is that the defense is getting better and better. And if they're able to continue this trajectory, they're going to be good. And, and one of these games, you're going to see the defense and the offense both play lights out. You'll see the defense play like they did against Oregon State. And you'll see the offense play like they did against, you know, first half Stanford. And then, you know, you'll get 70 points. 70 points, Jordan? Is that what you just said? 70. It'll be Pacifica versus Channel Islands. Oh, Oh, yeah. Watch out, Colorado. I'll tell you that. Right <laughs> Watch out, Colorado. I'll tell you that right now. Uh, Gerard, you ready to move on to some week six of college football? Let's move on. I'm interested to hear what you have to say about college football and what teams are standing out on the recruiting trail, because that's what this is all about. It's about recruiting people. And if you're not familiar with this, this is your first time listening, we're, we just take a moment to look around the country and college football landscape and what other teams are doing. Are they winning? Are they winning impressively? Are they barely winning? Are they losing? Are they getting embarrassed? You know, uh, we have a blend of that 
in uh, this week's look around college football. Well, first off, that Thursday night game, Gerard, you probably weren't even aware of it because you were out. Wait, was that? No, that was Friday. That was Sorry, Friday excuse me. That was Friday. Excuse Talk me. about recruiting angle. Huge win for UCLA on a Friday night when all the high school kids are playing their games. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they don't care about high school recruiting, Gerard. Everyone knows that. They don't care about high school. That, is, that is actually true. Good point. Uh, they won 40 over 32 over Washington Huskies, a, a battle of two undefeated teams going 4-0 uh, head-to-head. UCLA, 5-0. Huskies uh, ranked. We're having a very good uh, opening to the season. Took their first uh, loss, as I mentioned. Had a little bit of a comeback going. Uh, Michael Penix threw a couple picks, kind of put them down early. But they were in position to you know, come back and tie that game. It was very, It was an interesting game at the end there, but UCLA... You know, staying pace with USC atop of the uh, the Pac-12 rankings, they won 40 to 32. Oregon, kind of after an embarrassing opening weekend loss to uh, uh, Georgia, has stormed back with four consecutive wins. This most recently a 45-27 whooping of the Stanford Cardinal, who are one and three on the season. So, big easy win for them to to put to put some style points up on the board. Texas A&M, oh boy, the Aggies took another loss to Mississippi State. Mike Leach, they got Mike Leach, uh, Gerard, 42-24 uh, on the road, dropped to 3-2, and two, Mississippi State 4-1, and one, and we're going to talk a little bit more in depth about kind of maybe the, the fallout of a struggling Texas A&M when you've been recruiting at such a high level. We're going to talk a little bit of that more in detail, but 42-24 Aggies. Just not looking impressive at all. Florida State took, I believe, this was their first loss of the season. Yes, took a 31 to 21 loss to Wake Forest, which is four and one on the season. That was at home for the Seminoles, 31 uh, 21. So that's a team that everyone, every USC fan, is kind of looking uh, through the peripherals just because of Lucas Simmons, a guy. Maybe you kind of try to play for a flip down the line of Florida State. Kind of struggles under Mike Norvell, but. Had a 4-0 start to the season. This is their first loss. So get out to see how they rebound after that moving forward. And then maybe the the one of the more stunning results of the week was just Oklahoma getting absolutely road graded by uh, TCU, TCU, baby. TCU. Sorry. I, a lot, I knew they were purple. And the I, fight I couldn't. The fighting War Roversons, TCU, it was just like from the jump, Oklahoma had real no answer for that TCU offense. They were running all over them, got routed 55 to 24 to the the Horn Frogs. And, you know, they had multiple injuries for Oklahoma. They had multiple starters go out, including their quarterback, uh, Dylan Gabriel, took an, uh, a scary hit and, you know, was out. I believe that was right before halftime or right after halftime, something like that. But they, yeah, that was just a dismantling. Lincoln Riley's brother, Garrett Riley, is the offensive coordinator for TCU. So a little bit of a, maybe a little bit of a revenge factor, something, something out there. I'm sure Sonny Dykes is the main play caller. But still, Garrett Riley, offensive coordinator, quarterbacks coach for that, that TCU team, just blew out the Sooners. So Gerard. What was the most like interesting, eye-catching result for you this weekend? You know, 
we said last week, uh, you asked me about UCLA and Washington playing, and a lot of people thought Washington was just going to blow out UCLA. And I said, I don't know about that. I think UCLA is going to play that a lot closer just because Chip Kelly is wily. And when you have a season opening with a bunch of teams that are just like, you know, they're they're, they're JV teams. They're they're not Alabama South, Alabama Village, Alabama Village Tech, Alabama State Village Tech South. Like, it was just like a bunch of teams that just weren't high-end teams. You knew he was going to save something for the first actual Pac-12 game. And so I I think a lot of stuff that they put on film, they just – they were sandbagging, uh, and I think Chip Kelly has done that in the past, and I think he did that against Washington. And I think UCLA has a good run defense. They have a good run offense, and they've got a senior, experienced quarterback who can make plays. You know, other positions are not that impressive, uh, but I think that, um, you know, the main thing was probably just how unimpressive Washington looked, and they did come back at the end of the game, but – Man, uh, Penix did not look like the dude that he's looked uh, in previous weeks. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the question is, okay, did they tendency-wise sort of roll coverages a certain way? Did they do you know something in the secondary to really hold him down? That's going to be the question going forward for Washington. Because Washington, not the most impressive run offense. They were very good as a run defense. But, I mean, UCLA obviously exploited that. So, yeah, I mean, we're making opinions based on them playing against Michigan State and other and other teams. Um, this is why you kind of have to wait to see how the season plays out, you know, before you can make uh, these kind of grand opinions. But I thought Washington was just based on who they had played uh, and, the, and, and what they looked like on the field against those teams probably should have been rated or looked at as the number one team in the Pac-12. Obviously, that's not the case anymore. Now, do I – put UCLA at that level when, you know, they barely beat, I think South Alabama or something like that. I wouldn't necessarily, you know, throw, throw, throw them up there. Um, I think it's probably an argument more with USC and Oregon, Um, Oregon, like you said, kind of coming back and rebounding now and looking a little bit more consistent with Bo Nix. But there's obviously still a lot of questions about them. I mean, Mm -hmm. they got out of the Palouse by the skin of their teeth. They probably should have lost that game. Um, Cougan it. The Cougs just, they shake down the side of their leg in that game. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll see, you know, how Washington State comes and plays USC, and that'll be a common opponent. And you don't, again, try to make any kind of grand uh, predictions based on just, you know, common opponents. But you do like to see, you know, how they stack up and how these teams are playing. And so, um, you know, it's it's interesting. You know, Oregon also played Stanford. And uh, kind of beat Stanford basically by the same amount that USC did. Now people will point out and say, well, you know, Stanford played USC a lot closer, maybe in that third quarter, beginning of the fourth quarter, USC wasn't scoring anymore. Uh, But at the same time, I mean, I think USC just sort of lost interest. I mean, they were just, that first half was so flawless for that offense. I mean, I literally think they, they kind of, you know, it's a little bit of a USC thing where, you know, sometimes they lose a little bit of their, uh, their focus there. And we've seen that with some of the Clay Helton teams and some of the, the Star Sarkeesian teams. So that's something that, you know, Lincoln Riley has to continue to, to kind of push and, and make sure that his guys are engaged. And I think part of that and, and part of the answer to that has been the rotations that USC is using. You know, that's one thing we didn't talk about with the recruiting angle, but USC has interjected, interjected, no, injected 
a bunch of different rotations of of players at positions in game mid game. Like it, you know, they replace the two starting corners uh, in the middle of the game um, at, at Oregon State, and they do it at, at, uh, for for Arizona State uh, with Damani Jackson and Jacob Covington, Jacoby Covington. They like just two new corners. The corners were playing bad for USC. You know, they uh, Blackman and uh, and and Steer Wright weren't playing bad necessarily, mm-hmm. but it's just like scripted hey we're gonna put these other guys out there and we're just gonna give them some run you see that with the defensive line all the time uh you've seen that with receivers they've actually just pulled the starters and just put a new receiving core in there just you know they did that at Oregon State on the road I think that was more reaction to maybe and this is just speculation on my point uh, that maybe Lincoln Riley wasn't real happy with how the starters were running their routes or what they were doing um because yeah it was like third and nine and they put uh Kyron Hudson and uh, C.J. Williams, I think Terrell Bynum out there and pulled the starters. I, on a third and nine, I was just like, what? That's kind of a, uh, on the road, you know, hostile environment. But that's what they've been doing for, for much of this year. They've been rotating quite a bit uh, and, and in quality minutes. So uh, that's kind of a, an interesting thing to see going forward, you know, if they continue to do that um, and if they can continue to blow teams out and keep those guys on the field engaged. Because sometimes the starters, you know, you're just beating the, beating the team that badly. And you know they're not a threat. It just, you know, it, you, you sometimes just have to take your foot off the gas pedal a little bit. Um, certainly Texas A&M losing. And it, it kind of brings up a, an interesting thread that I thought I might bring up in the podcast. Um, some people just talking about it might be out of that great 2022 recruiting class that Texas A&M had some guys jumping into the porthole because Texas A&M right now is struggling. The offense is abysmal. You saying blood in the water? Yeah. And, and I don't know how much a, a quarterback is even going to help that. Uh, but they got a lot of guys, especially defensive linemen that actually have some interesting connections to that former Oklahoma staff. Right. So, you know, we talk about USC trying to recruit elite defensive linemen and certainly it's difficult to recruit, elite defensive tackles because a lot of those guys are down south a lot of those guys are mama's boys just gonna say it they don't want to leave home they're they've they've never really been out of the area very much and so even going back to the Pete Carroll era you know they offered a bunch of guys that were elite players down there and in linemen in general it's very difficult to recruit the deep south but maybe you get those guys into college and they've been in college for a couple years they've adjusted yeah, a little adjusted, a little, little, you know, a little worldly, meet different people and, and what have you. And then, then you're playing college football, so you're traveling more. Maybe the portal is that something that that sort of uh, that element that Pete Carroll didn't even have back in his days. Dominant as USC was, you know, they, they really had to, to 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 find guys locally and develop them. And and um, you might be able to have more success out of the transfer portal these days. And I mean, you're talking about, listen, I mean, you you know, right now for just that 22 class, right? You've got Anthony Lucas, who's from Arizona, who, who the, the Oklahoma staff recruited, USC recruited him as well. USC kind of slow played him originally because they were after the, the, the Georgia kids. And it just, you know, obviously backfired on them because they didn't get either of the Georgia kids, Christian Miller or uh, Mikhail Williams. But uh, Anthony Lucas is there at, at Texas A&M. Um, Libius Overton, who is the kid that reclassified, he's actually a legacy Oklahoma kid uh, that the, the staff 
was was pretty connected to. And a lot of people thought he was going to go to OU, and that didn't happen. Why didn't that happen? I mean, he's still a legacy to Oklahoma. Maybe he just wasn't feeling the coaching staff like he was prior. Um, defensive tackle Gabriel Brown-Lodini is another guy that's, uh, I believe, a legacy to Oklahoma. Oklahoma staff was committed to Oklahoma uh, during much of the recruiting process. The staff leaves, goes to USC. He ends up going to Texas A&M. So there are some guys there that potentially on the defensive line, maybe USC, if they enter the portal, will have a chance at. And that might be an avenue to get some elite defensive linemen quickly for USC. And if those guys, any of those guys pop up in the portal, I mean, again, that's going to change. You know, what your your recruiting class looks like coming out of high school. I mean, any one of those guys – Anthony Lucas, uh, Overton, or Brownlow Dindy, you like the USC fans would be ecstatic. They got like any one of those guys, let alone three of those guys, like Texas A&M did in one class. But as I mentioned, as you mentioned, blood in the water, and this is obviously something in the portal area we have to think about. With you have such a highly rated class, with the NIL space, with a team that's struggling to meet expectations, these lofty expectations that were placed on it because you have the greatest recruiting class in the history of the world. You know, when things are, when you're losing to Mississippi State on the road and you're three and two and uh, Jimbo Fisher has 30 sheets of paper trying to call an offense, it's just like, (laughs) it's like, what are we doing here? It's like, okay, well, I got my check. The check cleared. I'm I'm out of here. I'm going to go play for somebody else. That's what it's like now in the portal era. So just any one of those guys, like if USC was able to get one of those guys from any one of those entering the portal, you know, they would throw a parade uh, down Figueroa, I would I feel like. Yeah, I think, you know, certainly USC has, has got some guys out of the portal that have been castaways from other schools. But they're being castaways in some respects because they just weren't going to play a whole lot there. And you kind of learning your lesson. And a lot of schools are, I think, with the portal. You know, Alabama, some guys leave in Alabama and everybody's like, oh, my gosh, we got to get that kid. We got to get that kid. Alabama. I'm not naming names. I'm not. There's no names. (laughs) Well, I just named the names. Oh, well, I don't know anything about that. Uh, Who? Uh, but but they're guys that you automatically think, well, he's got to be still good because Alabama has so many good players. And that's not necessarily been true. I mean, that's, you know, they might be okay. They might be serviceable players, but you can't necessarily just assume that they're going to be really good players for you just because they were, you know, backups at, at, at Alabama, so to speak. Uh, so I think with a group like that or a situation where, you know, there's just uh, things are just not happening the way they're supposed to happen, and kids start leaving because because of that necessarily. Um, that's a different story, and so yeah, certainly if if any of those guys were leaving, it would probably just be because you know things didn't work out like they thought they were going to work out, and um, even the Texas A&M defense has kind of not been nearly as impressive as I thought it would be. They they got a little boat race there from uh, Mississippi <laughs> State. That was not that was not a game. They got where, leached. They got leached, I, baby. I, don't I, know think, I think they got, I think it was 28-7 when I was watching at one point. And I was like, oh, gosh, this is not looking good for them. So, I don't know what's going to happen. They got Chris Marshall there, too, the wide receiver, four-star out of uh, Fort, Bend, uh, Fort Bend Marshall, who, who took an official visit to USC and uh, liked USC a lot. And kind of, I think it came down to Texas A&M 
and USC. And, you know, I mean, it, it, he ended up at Texas A&M with a lot of those other guys and was, you know, one of those big time. Then Everett Stewart's playing. Chris Marshall, I don't think is playing. So again, it's one of those things like, like when you start losing and you're a highly talented guy at a high school, those guys are looking at the field going, well, we're losing. So why am I not playing? <laughs> I was good in high school. I'm a I'm big time guy. I did this, that, and the other in high school. So if they put me in there, we wouldn't be losing. That's, you know, how a, a, an 18, 19 yeah. year old kid is thinking. So yeah, that's the problem with the, with losing and having highly uh, touted recruits on the bench. So we'll see, we'll see uh, how this goes. And, and, you know, with, with A&M and maybe some of these other schools, I mean, we talked about Miami, even with the 2023 class, if they're not able to kind of turn this around, and we knew, you know, with Miami, it's a little different because Miami is trying to rebuild. And I think that Mario Cristobal will be able to sell the rebuild more. You can't sell a rebuild with uh, Jimbo Fisher. It, it's like, listen, dude. Ain't dude, no way. Yeah, this is this is it. <laughs> this is this is what you've made. This is your, your guys. Uh, you need to be winning now sort of thing. And so. That frustration, and I'm not here to say, you know, they're going to fire Jimbo Fisher or anything of that nature. I'm not trying to imply that. Uh, I don't think they can. I think he's still got a, a couple of years on his very, very big contract. It's more about position coaches. You know, when you start losing like that and you put that much money um, into your coaching staff and your facilities, and according to Nick Saban, your recruiting class, um, <laughs> you, you want to see results now. And so some 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 shift or some moves are probably going to be have to be made. And again, that opens the door potentially for guys to be unhappy, uh, to be uncertain and uh, to jump into that portal. A couple of quick notes before we move on to the high school football schedule. Do you know where Ishmael Shopshire has ended up? I don't know. I don't know that he ended up anywhere, actually. I never heard. I ever remember. Well, I have where he has ended up. Okay, where is he right now? He is at Southwest Mississippi Community College. Okay. At the JUCO level. He's back. He's at the JUCO level. Uh, Second point is, did you know Jimbo Fisher has the exact same record as Kevin Sublin through 57 games? 53 games. I did not know that. No, I did not know that. And do you know how much he would be owed if he was fired? Oh, a lot. I mean, I, I think somebody put out there like... Because I think last year there was some talk of a buyout. Uh, was it? Was it? Was it last year, or was it when Florida State was trying to find a new coach? And Jimbo Fisher's name came up. Oh no! You know what? It was it was last year, and it was LSU. It was when people yeah. were talking about him being a potential candidate for the LSU job, um, and they were talking about it being like a seventy-six million dollars, like something insane. It was like it didn't even make sense. I don't know how. It would be that that much, but it was like literally he you could not buy him out. Ninety five million. Okay, so there you go. Like, yeah, it was <laughs> something insane. I don't know if that's even correct. That, that sounds. I don't. I, that just sounds wild. Wild, Gerard. That's just wild because I've heard people talk about, and I say people, I mean Aggie fans talk about he needs to go, and it's like what, <laughs> what. <laughs> Oh, uh, that, yeah, you know, he, he can't go. That's just the way it goes. If that's true, if that's accurate. You know, I, I do question some of these numbers that float around and sometimes they're, they're not as accurate as people think they are, but um, yeah, it, it's, he, they're going to have to, 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 to stick with Jimbo in my opinion, but it could be something where you're going to see 
certainly on the offensive side of the ball, some shakeup uh, with coaching. And, um, you know, it, it may even be on the defensive side of the ball as well. I mean, it, it, you know, he's not dumb. He knows that you know, this, this is this is tough. You know, you have all those big-time recruits sitting there. You've got to play them, and then, you know, you're going to be putting guys in there that might not be necessarily ready to play either, and it could just end up being more losses. And so uh, it's, it's, um, it's a different era in college football when it comes to that, when it comes to trying to stack a team and have a good two deep. You know, Alabama's been able to do it, though. That's the thing. It's, it's, we, we think that the portal will give college football more parity, but when you look at what a team like Alabama has done, with recruiting and transfers, I mean, they've used it to their advantage. They've gotten some good transfers, and they got rid of some guys that probably weren't going to play there much anymore. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, Gerard, let's can you just run me through the high school football schedule? I'm going to run up? you through it. I'm going to run you through it. It's not a, a super deep weekend. Um, obviously, everybody, we talked about it at the, in the opening. It even got opening before the cold. Play, yeah. It. Modern day versus St. John Bosco. Everybody will be there except for me because I hate games that are crowded with a bunch of guys that are going to be on TV anyways. So you will not see me at that game, but uh, you'll see everybody else at that game. It'll be a big game. Do you uh, see they're doing... hawking those tickets for like $195? Yeah, well, good luck. Um, Los Alaminos is going to be back, back in Newport playing uh, Corona Del Mar, and that will be a better game. Uh, the Corona Del Mar, definitely a better team than uh, Newport Harbor. But you're probably going to see Los Alamitos win nonetheless. Calabasas is going to play at Simi Valley. Uh, Bishop of Mont at Sarah. That's a pretty good game. Bishop of Mont got some guys now. That's um, my where you might see me, Gerard. Stacy Bay, uh, the former Drupa Hills uh, running back slash receiver, uh, 2024 recruit up at Bishop of Mont. Good-looking player at Sarah High School. So that could be an interesting game. Uh, Losinger at Beverly Hills. That was the other game you talked about a little bit. And uh, the Arizona teams are all off uh, with the USC targets and prospects outside of Pinnacle, who's going to play Valley Vista uh, to uh, Friday night. So, yeah, the uh, Red Mountain is going to be off this week, and so is Highland. So uh, Caleb Lamu, no game this week. We'll see if uh, he goes somewhere for his bye week, maybe takes a visit up to Oregon, Evan, you know, at, at what am I trying to say here? <laughs> I don't know. He what takes, he, he, after I thought he had all, a stroke. Wait, wait. I was like, what's he doing? He takes a visit after all to Oregon. I I, I caution this with Caleb Lamu because uh, it's sort of similar to how Oregon was recruiting Alani Noah. You know, we had heard really all the way up to him officially visiting USC that you know Oregon had cooled on him or he had cooled on Oregon, really depending on who you talk to. And they weren't really involved anymore. And then bada boom, bada bing, he takes his official visit to USC. And then the next week he's headed to Oregon. And then people are going, well, he could go to Oregon now. So, you know, I think Oregon, you know, they, they I think they like Caleb Lamu. And I think they just want to sort of make it, you know, where they're like, ah, you know, maybe maybe we don't like him that much. We're slow playing or whatever. But um, until he's kind of done with visits and everything, yeah, Oregon's in there. And uh, like I said, you know, Utah is uh, is up there too. And, and you know, I think he's got his official visit set. I have to pull up his player profile, but I think his official visit for Utah is the USC game. Or did he already take his official visit during the Southern Utah game? I have to hold on. Let me check I Mr. Believe, Lamu's. I believe he's only got one left. Oh, yeah. Oh. So he might've taken that official visit to Utah um, for the Southern Utah game. 
Uh, no, he actually took his. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm sitting here talking. He already took his uh, Utah official visit. That was June. So those was his three. Um, I th- for some reason I thought he was taking a season visit. It's just going to be an unofficial visit to Utah. But I thought he was taking a season visit to Utah. No, he took that uh, second week of June, and then Cal and Arizona. He took official visits to two. Uh, I don't see him going to either of those schools. It's really going to be uh, Utah. You know, like I said, Oregon is, is, is trying to still float around in there. I think USC is in a pretty good spot for him personally. Uh, but we'll see, you know, where he ends up this week. And if he ends up anywhere, he's got a bye week. Got a bye week. And we don't have a bye week because we never take a bye week. I mean, that's not true. We do take a bye week. But we, we, we should. We should take bye weeks. We should take a bye week. But before we can say bye to this podcast episode, we have some listener questions, Gerard. As always, if you want to send us a question, and get it on this podcast, you can email us at podcast at uscfootball.com. Just make sure you put the composite, Slantra Boys, Hurricane, 10K, whatever you want to put. Just identify it that it is for us, and it will get into my inbox. People have also DM'd me questions. I've had people DM me like on Instagram. Don't DM me on Instagram because I'm going to forget about it. If you want to DM me, please do it in uh, Twitter, please. Do not do Gerard. He's not going to respond to your DMs. He never responds to even to my. I don't think I've ever DM'd you, Gerard. It's wild. No. That's wild to me. Uh, so let's get into these. Uh, Gerard, are you ready? Yeah, rapid fire. Let's go. Let's go. Yeah. Okay. 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 Uh, I'm going off. I'm going off with a tough one right off the bat from Jagger. Right. Shout out to Jagger who always asks some interesting questions. But who is a more important get for the 2024 class? T. A. Cunningham or Brandon Baker, Gerard? T.A. Cunningham. Next question. Oh, oh, oh okay. Uh, I just want to say I probably agree with you. Uh, I thought about it a little bit, but I would say T.A. Cunningham because USC, based on what they do in 2023, could have a really, really good offensive line class. So it would be a little more uh, – I mean, I'm not saying not as important in 2024, but it's important to lock up those two local guys. But you have a five-star uh, defensive lineman, guy who's – as, uh, out of the South, so it's a SEC type guy in California. Got to lock him up. Got to lock him up. That's my reasoning. Uh, let's see the next question from LA Transplant. I recently found out that Solo T, that Solo Solomon Tulia Pupu, has two more years of eligibility left. Can someone post eligibility lists for all players, please? I believe we have the Ryan scholarship chart. I don't know if that's a strictly. Uh, eligibility, uh, you have to probably do a little bit of thinking, critical thinking on that one. But I don't think we have a strictly, this person has this many years. And that's also a little bit confusing just because of the COVID year and all that jazz. But I don't know, this sounds like a shotgun project, Gerard. Yeah, I forgot. I, 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 I was signing shotgun up for work. I couldn't remember Bobby Haskins is actually using his COVID year now. To transfer to USC, or it was a grad transfer, if I recall. He is a grad transfer. He is a grad transfer. But I don't think he's actually used his COVID year, right? I don't think so. I See, don't I just don't so. know what. I just don't know the COVID year. You know, it's like. Well, it's it's, all... it's it's not it's not listed up front. It's sort of listed by the NCAA like you would with if you had a medical six year. So you have to petition to it, but it's not like they mm. they they have a council. Because with the medical, they have to go over your medical records, and then you didn't play enough games, and blah blah blah. This is just you automatically get it. But 
I don't know. They don't like listing it like that. USC doesn't list it that way on their roster. Ryan does sort of list eligibility. Like if you go to the scholarship distribution chart, the, the good one, the one that he does, because there's one that's on 24-7 that the roster is a complete nightmare. I, I don't know why it's so screwed up, but it's just a mess. Guys are on there that are not even on the team anymore. So his one, which is in the more section of the site, so the pull-down menu where you've got the dot, dot, dot at the very end at the top of the site, that's where you'll find that particular um, that menu and that uh, that feature. 2022 scholarship distribution chart and it will have like you know justin didich is a junior in terms of eligibility even though usc uh labels him as a redshirt senior if you go to his profile on the official site for the usc trojan site he's a redshirt senior but ryan lists him as a junior however ryan lists brent neon uh bobby haskins and there's one other who's on there that's um, – let me see if I can pull it up. Uh, who's the other offensive line? Oh, yeah, Andrew Voorhees, right? So he has them as seniors. But, again, we know Voorhees still has a year uh, for COVID. He hasn't, he hasn't exhausted yet yet. So, technically, the, these guys still have, I think, another year still. So, I don't know. It's, it is confusing, and unfortunately um, – could we redistribute this and try to make it to where it gives you an idea of eligibility? I think you're just for almost all these players. I think you're just looking at the the, the, the scholarship chart that Brian has right now, go to it and then say, everybody's got plus one. I think that's probably the way to do it. That sounds simple. That, that sounds, sounds simple. simple enough. Yeah. That sounds simple. I think that'll work, but maybe I can coach shotgun and do it. We'll see. Uh, Tariq says, where do we stand with Marcus deal? I don't know. Where, um, where do know, we stand with Marcus Deal? Yeah, where do we stand with him? Um, I've I've uh, tried to reach out to him a couple times, so I don't know where my standing is with him. But yeah, it kind of seems. Well, he's certainly waiting uh, to to take his visits and go through the process. He's got a bunch of different schools he's looking at. I think right now, I want to say Texas and Oklahoma are the other schools that potentially could get uh, official visits for him. So he's going to take all five, and it just seems like he's going to wait probably near the signing period, if not sign in the early signing period in December. But Arkansas has been there. Um, it seems more like those schools closer to home are getting more of the attention. I think Steve Wolfong just did an update on him not too long ago, and USC wasn't even mentioned really as a school uh, that he talked about. I know that there was Georgia. There was a bunch of schools. The thing is, and this was kind of looking at it maybe like a month ago, it seemed like a lot of these schools looked at him as a plan B, whereas USC was looking at him as a plan A. So you felt like, okay, that might help them a bit because certainly like Oklahoma, they just, they've lost out on so many guys. They just lost out on David Hicks. So they're, 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 they're scrambling right now. And they're scrambling right now when they don't have a lot of momentum on the field. So we'll see what happens with that. That might not end well for them in terms of trying to get guys like Marquis Steele and what have you. But there are um, several other schools that he's also been looking at. And um, I think Texas is still in there for him. I know Arkansas is definitely a player for him. Uh, there's another school in there, maybe maybe Georgia. But I always felt, again, that Georgia had him a bit more as a plan B. So 
Yeah, you know, I mean, defending national champions, you know, USC used to do it. They used to have plan Bs and they just pivot and they go grab a guy that was, you know, a, a decently high level four star guy. And he ended up being a plan B. Uh, so, yeah, that's that right now. I would say USC is I would say mm, I'd say they're top three. Having not talked to him in like two months, three months almost. So I don't feel good about USC Marquis Steele right now, but I think they're still in it. They got to get him back on campus. That's the thing. If these guys that are taking a bunch of visits during the year after they took an official visit to summer, you know, if you're USC, you probably have to get them back on campus at some point for an unofficial visit during the season. Like, you're just going to have to because they've taken these visits to these other schools. Those schools are fresh in their mind. They're closer to home. Yeah, you're going to have to get him back on campus and, and get him to get him to an order game game. You know, get him to a game where, uh, you know, he can see the product in the field and the environment and the football part of the equation is now there for him to see. You know, I talked about that with one of the kids I talked to this weekend. I think it was Peyton Woodyard where – you know, we talked about USC last year and, and all the things he liked about USC. We talked about him this year. And he kind of admitted, you know, the thing now is that football is a part of the equation now. Football is now like a positive for USC, whereas it wasn't. It was like USC's got a great location close to home. My family can come see me play. Great education. You know, one of the better degrees you can get, especially if you're looking into business school. Um, you know, the diversity of the campus. Uh, you know, lo love the coaching staff, love the energy of the coaching staff, uh, you know, great after college networking, alumni connections um, in terms of the market that you would want to work in. If you're in business, real estate, if you end up, you know, being a good football player and after football coming back and getting on TV, like all those things line up well for USC. But they had a bad, bad, bad football team. And they constantly had their head coach on the, on the, on the hot seat and their head coach really had no resume with, uh, with NFL or, or anything that would suggest that from a development standpoint, they were a really good staff. It, it was a stretch, you know, in, in every sense. So now you have the football aspect. That's now a positive for USC. They can go and say, look at, you know, we're winning these games. Uh, we're going to get these guys right. They're going to get drafted. They're going to get in the NFL. And that now is no longer this huge arbitros in an in-home visit or on an official visit or what have you. And I think that's, um, you know, it's obviously a very big deal for USC. This one comes from Keith W. Kirking Chris, a.k.a. Team A. Bay Bay, which is a reference to, oh, God, I don't remember the name of the group. Oh, I think it's just his name is Hurricane Chris. So we're Team A. Bay Bay. Uh, Gerard, question with the recent Elijah Page commitment and assuming we also get Lomu, would there still be room for Samson and or Maui Go in the 2023 class? Yes, because you take those. We guys. already talked about that. Yeah, we already talked about that. But you take those guys. You find a way. You get them in. It's OK. Uh, D from the Central Valley. He actually has two questions, but we answered one of those questions earlier in the show. Other than Gentry, linebackers have been inconsistent as he has Tackett Curtis in this class and recently offered Arian Carter. Do you guys think that the staff is going to start trying to flip some committed linebackers? Thank you for the great work. I think in terms of the board, that's probably what you'd have to do. I mean, it's, it's like that with several other positions as well. You know, it's like when, you know, even with 
safety is a good example of, you know, if you're going to get some highly touted guys and some guys that are worth actually bringing in, you're probably going to have to go out there and get some guys that are committed to other schools. Um, Cause just, there's so many guys that commit during the summer. That's, that's yeah. just kind of the way it goes. So potentially, yeah. I mean, do I think that they're going to go out there and they're going to be able to, to, to flip Anthony Hill? No, because yeah. I don't think Anthony Hill really had a, a lot of uh, interest in USC to begin with. Um, but uh, you have to go down the line. I mean, you know, they were, they were after guys like Malik Bryant. He never took an official visit to USC. He ends up committing to Miami. He's from Florida. Probably not. Even if, Let's say, let's just say hypothetically, he wavers a little bit from Miami. It's very doubtful that USC is going to be the next school for him, right? You know, there, there's probably some other schools uh, in the South that he ends up going to. Um, trying to think, who else did they have actually uh, official visit during the year? They, they kind of really shut it down around Tackett Curtis. So that, that tells me they're not really looking for a ton mm-hmm. of numbers. I mean, even Isaiah Chisholm, who... We, I, I really would like to see him this season. I, I, I think I've said this before. I need to go look and see his senior film just to see how he's playing. But, I mean, that's a dude that's put together. Like, he's a, he looks like a guy. If you really wanted two inside backers in this class, I would have to think that would be one of those guys. You know, Leona Lafu, Lefu uh, from Kahuku is a guy that USC stopped recruiting. You know, they, they, they could have had someone to go along with Tackett Curtis. So, you know, the, the interest in uh, Carter is, is surprising. I mean, I don't know, maybe, you know, David Peavy is still kind of technically out there and, and that's a guy that, um, you know, I think it was Oregon, Washington sort of leading, but again, one of those guys that uh, now he was Supposed to be supposedly at the game, I think this past weekend, but we didn't see him at the game, did we? Who's that? David Peavy from Lincoln. No, I did not see. I did not see uh, David Peavy. Yeah, I don't. I don't think he made it. So, um, you know, he's more of a rush end type linebacker, but you know, potentially could be a guy that maybe you put uh, as more of a standard will or something. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, Arian Carter is obviously everybody's excited. He's got good film. Technically, he's a committed guy. Yeah, well, yeah. Technically, he's a committed guy. Six one two ten. You know, rated as an athlete because he, I think, he plays some running back as well. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, he just took an unofficial visit, I believe, to Alabama. Rated by Alabama. I don't know if that's a guy that you know USC really has a great shot at. But it is just interesting in terms of you know who they're offering and and you know what they're looking at in terms of numbers. They've just been so conservative. I mean, we saw this going up really, you know, before Tackett Curtis was committed going in that visit. We had the conversation in the podcast. Listen, they're really putting a lot of eggs in that basket. For Tackett or bust. They got to feel very confident about it because they just haven't offered a bunch of other linebackers. And so, you know, you got Braylon Shelby there, too, who's, I, I've said, a guy that you kind of can put back at linebacker. He has enough athleticism. Despite being 6'4", almost 6'5", 235 pounds, he can move. So, you know, you kind of have to look at that as well. Maybe that's not a guy you're just walking up with an online scrimmage and, um, you know, he's not going to fill in the Solomon Bird role. He's a guy maybe you you put back and, and play a little more linebacker. You know, that that remains to be 
determined. But um, certainly, you know, one of the things that USC has done this season, which from a recruiting angle, going back to that, which has been beneficial, is that they have now a a a, a pass rusher who's a primary featured guy in Solomon Bird. They, they were trying to find that guy. I, I, obviously, they hoped that Corey Foreman would be that guy. He hasn't been that guy. Okay, He's still getting some run. He played a lot more against Arizona State than he played against Oregon State because he didn't play at all against Oregon State. But, you know, you've got Nick Figueroa there. Solomon Bird, though, is the guy now. And so you can kind of recruit around the development of Solomon Bird. What's the narrative for Solomon Bird? Hey, we got this guy, was a two-star out of high school, Goes to Wyoming. Two-star dandy. Nobody really knows about him. Yeah, we got him here, and we made him this great player. You know, that's not obviously true. Um, but it's, you know, what you tell recruits. It's just that's sort of the pitch. Like, listen, this is the guy that in our system, he's been able to be a guy. Okay, he's a drafted guy now. He, he's not going to get drafted out of Wyoming. He's going to be drafted now because of our system, our scheme, and our development. And you can come in and fill that position. Now, is that going to be Bradley Shelby? Or is that going to be somebody else? Is that going to be, you know, they, they tell it to, to uh, Mateo Ungale. I, I feel like Mateo isn't that guy. I feel like you got to put his hand on the ground. He's going to play the opposite side. But nevertheless, maybe that's where he wants to play. So, you know, that's what he gets sold on. That's sort of the interesting part, and that's why we do recruiting angles because, you know, this is what matters. This is how it translates to the recruiting trail. And Solomon Bird being a guy now that's sort of like the primary pass rusher, uh, USC now has a guy that's sort of like, hey, that, see that number out there, fifty-one. That's that's the guy. That's the guy that you're going to be, you know, go, coming in after. He's going to be a senior. He's going to be draftable now. He's probably going to leave. So you're going to, you know, have that ability to come in there and play immediate playing time. Immediate playing time. Uh, Drew, we have three, four more questions left. Let's power through these. Uh, this one comes from Trojan Sage. I always butcher it. And I always feel bad. Uh, I'm very high on Elijah Huge. Are you ready to put in a crystal ball on him in favor of USC? No, I am not. And I'm pretty sure Gerard isn't either, even though he's retired from crystal balls, essentially. Is that true, Gerard, right? Correct? I would say yes and yes on both accounts. Yes on yes. Uh, Wait. Oh, okay. Sorry, I confused myself. Uh, his, His third question, his first question we answered early in the show this is a question for Hurricane. Back in 2009, we were supposed to have we we supposed to, we were supposed to have that program changing class with five stars: Matt Barkley, T.J. McDonald, Patrick Hall, Devin Kennard, and in my opinion, the two biggest misses of the decade: Manti Teo and Vontez Perfect, who are both projected to be tr- who are both projected to be Trojans and my favorite players in that class. Do you think we could have won another national championship if we signed? Those two, Gerard, I'm probably going to run up to the convenience store while you do a 20-minute talk on this class. No, I don't think they would have. Um, You know, the front end of that, they would have had a much better season uh, when they had to start, you know, all those freshmen and Devon Kennard was one of those guys. That was when they ended up being in the something Walnut Bowl, I think, up in San Francisco, and it was Pete's you know, one of his worst seasons at USC. And it was also last season at USC. And so you that that group, I believe, would have overlapped into Lane Kiffin and that staff. So it was one of those things where, yeah, you, you had Jarvis Jones and um, 
you had Frankie Telford and those guys, but we never really got to see what that what that program was was going to be uh, with those players from that particular class with Pete Carroll because it ended up being that 2011 season that they had under Lane Kiffin where they had a really good year. They had, you know, Woody. They had, uh, you know, Marcus Lee was, was coming up. Uh, you had Matt Barkley there. And uh, they had a really good year. And then they got preseason ranked number one going into the 2012 season, and they completely fell on their face and lost against Georgia Tech in the, in the Sun Bowl. So you're, you're a long ways away from a national championship in that period of time. You know, you had one of Pete's worst seasons, and then you had Lane Kiffin come in, and you had a couple bad seasons uh, mixed in with that 2011 year where they ended up uh, – they were, they were not even bowl eligible for that season. They ended up winning, I think, 11 games, and it was a really good year. And it looked like a really good team, but they weren't bowl eligible. So I would say no, that that there would have been no national championship. I think at the very least, it just would have made that last year with Pete Carroll a, a lot better. I mean, you probably could get two more wins out of those guys just having them in there uh, because you lose all those linebackers the year before. So better, but I don't I don't think there's a national championship there with that with that team. Uh, we have that one class, I should say, that, okay. that, that class. Gotcha. Uh, this one comes from Alberto for the Cilantro Boys podcast. Now that USC has landed their fifth offensive line commit in the 2023 class, how does this group of linemen compare to the big haul that was the 2020 offensive line ca- class that consisted of six offensive linemen? Strictly compare both classes from a high school performance and eye test evaluation since we don't know that the 2020 offensive line class since we now know, sorry, since we now know that the 2020 offensive line class hasn't made a huge impact outside of Ford and Monheim, both classes are full of three stars. So, so I thought that Hurricane Martinez and the DMV legend Chris Trevino could give us some insight. And just to rehash that 2020 class really quickly, that was Jonah Monheim out of Moore Park High School, uh, Cortland Ford out of Cedar Hill, Texas. Caden Stephan out of Camas, Washington. Casey Collier out of Bellevue, Texas, no longer on the team, left via the transfer portal. Andrew Milik out of Brophy College Preparatory in Arizona. And Andres DeWork out of Los Gatos, California. So, Gerard, interesting question. Uh, a comparison of these two classes. I am probably much higher on this 2023 class so far. Just looking at it on paper. Every one of these guys, Amos Talalele, offered early on. USC was on him. He's a three-star, but he's a three-star that USC wanted from the get-go, right? There wasn't like three or four or five other players that were on the board that USC was recruiting, and they just settled for Amos Talalele. Same thing with Alani Noah. Alani Noah was a guy they offered early, brought him in on junior days. They recruited him all the way up to the summer, got him in on an official visit, he was that first group of official visitors, got him committed, boom. So I would say for the most part, you could probably argue offensive tackle, you know, maybe with Tobias Raymond, that's a guy that they take that commitment. But they took that commitment before Francis Maragoa or Lucas Simmons committed. So I think with him, again, maybe a little more of a project, maybe a little more of a, okay, he's not going to play right away. But in terms of if you're going by trends and what, NFL offensive linemen that are drafted in the first round look like that's more Tobias Raymond than any of those guys. And then you have Elijah Page, Elijah Page, another guy that USC recruited hard coming out of the gates. Another guy they had 
on unofficial visits. They wanted him. They scheduled him for that first week of June for official visit. Chris and I sat here and talked about that could be one of the guys that they get committed over the summer. We're talking about how many commitments are they going to have over the summer. That was a guy that, you know, we we kind of pegged as a potential guy that they could get committed. So, yeah. I, I and, and even, hey, you know what? Technically, they would have got him to visit over the summer. He probably would have committed. And my number 20 would have been right on, huh, Chris? I uh, I have no comment on that. <laughs> I have Anyways, no comment on that. You know, Mike, uh, Michael Banuelos was another guy. I mean, they, they recruited him. Landon Hatchet were the two guys that they were looking at the center position. And, uh, you know, Banuelos they brought in first. So seemed like that was the guy that they really wanted to close with first. So, I mean, this is pretty much what, what – it was plan A for USC, right? I, I think maybe Francis Maragoa is the only other guy that you would argue would have been in that group as a plan A group for USC. So um, that's very, very different than that 2020 class, man. That 2020 class, USC was pivoting left and right and going after guys like uh, like uh, Casey Collier that were not originally offered. They were offering guys middle of the season trying to get them. And if I recall, I don't think they ever had a personal uh, evaluation of either of those linemen. I don't think any of the coaching staff, uh, and I know for a fact that Tim Drevno did not see uh, Collier or Cortland Ford uh, before they offered him scholarships. So that was another thing that was a little weird. It was Mike Jenks who really recruited both those guys, the running backs coach. So that was a class that was absolutely not plan A, and it seemed like they were just taking bodies to get some bodies because they were just not landing the guys they really wanted. Absolutely agree on everything you just say. But, hey, I would also say Lucas Simmons was a plan A as well. Yeah, they definitely would have liked Lucas Simmons for sure, for sure. I, I think, you know – if there was a sort of either or with Francis Maragoa, well, I think yes. he would have gone well, yes. Maragoa, but yeah, certainly no, those guys, listen, you bring guys on an official visit, they're a priority at that point. Uh, you don't usually, you know, bring a bunch of guys in on visits that you wouldn't take commitments from. So I, I think that sort of says all you need to know about, you know, the offensive line class, those guys, they didn't waste any time bringing in Elijah Page on an official visit um, you know, after he decommitted from Notre Dame. I mean, they just wasted no time. They're not going to have any official visits this weekend. But, you know, they made sure that they got some official visits in last weekend. And I think with Elijah Hughes, it just made sense. And uh, with uh, with Elijah Page, it was, we need to close the deal now. And we don't want him floating around out there taking a bunch of other visits. Hey, he likes us. He wants to stay closer to home. He sees that, you know, this, this offense and, and this program is headed in the right direction. Let's just make it happen. Make it happen, Captain. And our make it happen, Captain. Sorry. And our last question comes from Cappy from Duarte. Uh, cilantro boys, are the towel guys a complement to the USC major red team? If not, what's their purpose? No, they are definitely not a complement to the U, the USC major red team. And Gerard, do you know who the towel guys are? You're familiar with this debate. I mean, I know the debate. Obviously, it's all over the peristyle. Yes, I have. <laughs> Really, no comment. I don't care. It doesn't seem like either or to me. You know, I don't know. I, I yeah, whatever. Whatever he says. Uh, I I'm think pro the biggest here, here, here it is. Here it is. Okay, okay, okay. I, I think the biggest issue with USC fans that don't like it, it reminds them of Cowboy from UCLA, and they look at UCLA as an inferior program that has gimmicky little silly things and guy with the you know, blow horn 
towel around who had like a little can't remember what those hats are called, but he, he looked he, he looked clownish. It was silly, and you know that's that's what they uh, uh, compare that with, or that's what probably brings to mind when they see guys out there waving towels around. They think of that guy, whatever his name was, and that's probably the reason why they don't like to see it done at USC. That's fair. I get that. I'm not really familiar with the UCLA guy. People have tweeted about this person towards me, so I'm still pro towel guy. You know, those are the strength and conditioning guys, and they're just there to provide energy and juice on the sideline, which you know, never a bad thing for your sideline. Uh, it looks. Yeah, you want to keep it. I mean, you want to keep the sidelines engaged. Yeah. To, like yeah. I said already, you know, at Stanford game, you kind of saw a little of that creeping, you know, disinterested with the offense, and they sort of. And they weren't finishing the game, I think, the way Lincoln Riley wanted to finish the game. I mean, you saw it was interesting because he really went out of his way to to get on the offense and get on the defense when it came to finishing the game with Rice. So that was a perfect example of, like, listen, we're up a bunch. We know these guys aren't going to beat us, but finish the game like you started the game. And, and certainly with the backups, having that goal light stand, it was nice. It was good. And I think – you know, the Stanford game, yeah, they sort of floated in and out of that a little bit. And it's easy. I mean, you're on the road. And, and you know, if you're Caleb Williams and you come from Oklahoma and you're playing out on the road of some of these games, there's still people in the stands. You get to Stanford in the beginning of the game, there's not people in the stands. It's probably a very surreal field, like showing up, having played in these really raucous, hostile environments, and you go on the road and there's nobody in the stands. Like, that's just weird. <laughs> so, you know, that, that doesn't help. I mean, Lane Kiffin actually made that uh, that point about his own uh, program and the Ole Miss fans leaving at halftime, coming out out at halftime, and because they're up a couple scores, everybody leaves. And he was, he was making a point. Like, that doesn't help our football team focus. So you do have to remember, these are college kids, and they start thinking about Fraternity Row and all this stuff they're going to do on Saturday night. And instead of maybe, you know, finishing out the game when it's an opponent that they feel like is just not a threat to them. Not a threat. Not a threat. Now, Gerard, that has wrapped up another episode of the highly world-renowned uh, composite two-star recruits. Uh, I have a world lot. World-renowned. World-renowned. I have a lot of edits to make because of our uh, internet connectivity issues, especially in the first half of this podcast. But I do it for the love of of the fans, filthy casuals, the paying Paris not members, all of them. I will have timestamps on all this. Gerard, anything else before we get out of here? Not a thing. Hopefully, uh, you know, the editing isn't too bad. I appreciate it, Chris. Everybody, give Chris a little doubt for the timestamps. It's a, it's a grind to get all that done. So especially with the edits, kind of sucks. You know, it's, fortunately... I, I don't know what's going on. You know, it's just one of those. Some weeks are cleaner than others. It's it's fine. We have a lot of penalties this week, and we got to clean that up. We got to clean, <laughs> clean, clean that up. And we Gerard, did, we did have we did probably did have some penalties. Probably had some some moments of uh, uh, that we, we we could edit out entirely. But that's not even the the edits. The edits are just you know breaking up and, and not being clear. So that's one of those things. That's the beauty of Wi-Fi, unfortunately. Um, but that's uh, you know that's what we're using. We're using Skype. Unfortunately, it does not always stay connected. And I guess uh, I'll see you at Modern Day St. John Bosco? <laughs> sure, in spirit. Okay, in spirit indeed. I'm Chris. 
That's Gerard, and we will catch you next time on Composite Two Star Recruits. That leopard sucks! Hello, everyone. It's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search The Rest is Football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meets.